We in the WWF think that you, the audience, are, quite frankly, tired of having your intelligence insulted. We also think that you're tired of the same old simplistic theory of good guys versus bad guys. Surely the era of the superhero urge you to say your prayers and take your vitamins is definitely passe. All this and that like you're some kind of big shot. Stone Cold's got his own consequences. Huh. If anybody wants to see Vince McMahon get his ass whipped, give me a hell yeah. Who do I think I am? Who the hell do you think you are? You won't think I owe you a f***ing apology. I don't owe you a f***ing thing. I'm sick and tired of trying to please everybody else around here. And the stops right here. Wow. I can announce that the World Wrestling Federation just today has officially begun negotiations with the baddest man on the planet, Iron Mike Tyson, to participate this year at WrestleMania 14 on March the 29th in Boston. Rock, when I gave this belt to you, I did just that. You didn't have to earn a damn thing. Well, tonight, son, if you want to find it, I got a few things that I'm going to give you first. If you're going to find it, you're going to need a few objects. You're going to need, you're going to need your little mask so that you can see under the water. You're going to need your little snorkel. Hell, son, you might even need a regulator because you're going to have to go deep. So I got you asked a little oxygen tank, and I really doubt there's any oxygen in the damn thing. But nonetheless, there, there the damn thing is. And I tell you what, Rock, take your little flippers because you probably can't swim worth a damn either. Here's a cell phone. When you find the damn thing, dial my number, and here's the pager. When you dial me, tell me you found your little belt. I'll page you back, put the 316, and give you the big thumbs up. Rock, you're the biggest piece of trash I ever saw. It hurts me to do this, but I really don't give a damn about you or the WWF, so I'll see you a little belt later. Oh, my. No! There goes the belt! And that's the bottom line. Because the 316 sets up. Hello and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, where we are going back in the time machine to December of 1997 to bring you all of your WWF coverage, focusing on the In Your House Degeneration X pay-per-view. There are six volumes for you this month, with this being volume two for December. Volume one is, of course, WCW looking at Starcade and that long-awaited Sting Hulk Hogan match. Uh, this is Volume 2, as I said. Volume 3, all your ECW coverage. And Volume 4 will be your MMA edition of the show, taking a look at the UFC Ultimate Japan. With it being December, two extra volumes for you. Volume 5, the 1997 end of year review. And Volume 6, the 1997 end of year reward, uh, awards. Sorry. But as I said, this is Volume 2. And joining me for this episode, as we look back at the WWF, we have Rory McNamara. Rory, how are you doing? Very well. Good afternoon, chaps. Too, and we also have Craig Wilson. Good to have you on, Craig. Hi. Hey, how's it going? Very good, thank you. Uh, Rory, would you kindly kick us off for the month with the WWF news? I shall indeed. And fan riots broke out two nights in a row at WWF house shows on the weekend of December the 14th and December the 15th in Memphis, Tennessee and Little Rock, Arkansas. Debris throwing and spitting by fans got so bad that the main event each night was cancelled. On the 14th in Memphis, Shawn Michaels and Hunter Hearst Helmsley walked out before wrestling their match 
because fans threw garbage at them, ending the card on an extremely flat note. When Michaels, Hunter and China came to the ring for their match, Hunter tried to do some heel mic work, with Michaels following with his own heel comments. But when fans began tossing bottles and cups at the ring, Michaels said, we're leaving. Fights in the crowd broke out as some fans were upset with those fans who threw things, costing everyone the main event match they paid to see. Ultimately, it was management who decided that DX should not return to the ring. On the 900 line, Jim Ross said, The WWF made the right decision. The safety of the performers and the fans comes first. The next night in Little Rock, in an apparent coincidence, pretty much the same situation played out. And again, arena security paid very little attention to the growing disturbances. Even a presentation by Michaels for former Olympic medalist Danny Hodge was curtailed, thanks to the crowd hurling garbage. Michaels tried again later, but once more left the ring before the night's scheduled main event event, main event of him versus Shamrock. At that point, things turned very nasty, with chairs and even lit firecrackers being thrown, and more fights in the crowd taking place, resulting in several arrests being made. When the show was officially abandoned, fans began chanting, WCW, WCW. The impact of the Montreal Screwjob played a huge part in shaping storylines in the WWF this month as Vince McMahon transitioned from babyface television announcer to a dictatorial heel owner in an attempt to capitalise on the negative backlash he has received in the fallout from the Survivor Series. McMahon, who has seemingly replaced Sergeant Slaughter's commissioner role that looks to have been dropped since his character was too cartoonish for the more serious direction of the company, confronted Stone Cold Steve Austin, making it clear he expected him to do, as he said, as Vince is the boss. McMahon was then seen backstage talking with agents trying to give the impression they were plotting to screw fan favourite Austin out of the title since McMahon has began calling Rocky Maivia the people's champion. Austin ended up forfeiting the Intercontinental Championship on the 8th of December edition of Raw, saying he had bigger fish to fry, such as going after the WWF title. It is said that Austin is still not in a secure enough condition with his neck to wrestle, so it made sense to get the belt off him. The original plan was for him to drop the title to Rocky at the pay-per-view the night before, but the WWF want to protect Austin from doing jobs since he is likely going to be the WrestleMania main event opponent of Shawn Michaels after winning the Royal Rumble. Owen Hart returned to WWF at the In Your House D-Generation X pay-per-view, having been given a huge raise by McMahon to soothe the hard feelings. Owen was largely seen by everyone on both sides as being someone put in a bad position through things that he had no control over. Brett and McMahon in their first discussions in Survivor Series was largely regarding the subject of Owen returning and doing the angle. Brett said he, McMahon should give Owen the opportunity to go say elsewhere, but McMahon said that that wouldn't happen. The conversation ended on a bad note with a lawsuit threatened. On the 15th of December edition of uh, War, uh, sorry, of Raw, Owen made his first public comments around the controversy when he confronted McMahon. The WWF hopes Owen fills Brett's shoes and believes he's made a good start with a strong showing on the mic. Ken Shamrock and the WWF struck a deal with the UFC to fight Nobuyo Takada on the Ultimate Japan show on December the 21st. Shamrock was initially pulled from his WWF dates to train for the fight, with part of the deal that the WWF would heavily plug Shamrock's fight. The Japanese media conglomerate agreed a reported $300,000-plus booking fee for Shamrock with the WWF, and the Federation would have had the right to show the fight on TV if it had happened. The fight both fell apart after Takada declared he was injured and had no fights to fight in the UFC. 
Shamrock was said to be willing to face either Tank Abbott or Vita Belfort on short notice, but the Japanese promoters were not willing to spend that kind of money if Shamrock wasn't fighting a major Japanese name. Shamrock immediately left training camp and went back on the road with the WWF. Dan Seven is said to have agreed terms with the Federation and is expected to debut at the Royal Rumble. The LA Times uh, plans to run a major article critical of the direction of WWF programming in recent months. Ahead of its publication, Vince McMahon appeared on TV uh, in a preemptive strike of sorts. As a message to justify the direction of the company, quell advertisers' fears of associating with bad controversy and to advise parental discretion on Monday nights, McMahon said the key word in sports entertainment was entertainment and the WWF is part soap opera, part sitcom and part cartoon. He also claimed fans no longer wanted an intelligence insulted, uh, no longer wanted good guys and bad guys, and no longer wanted a superhero who told them to say their prayers. Vince claimed the WWF are embarking on an innovative and contemporary creative campaign, and due to the live nature of Raw and the war zone, he encourages some degree of parental discretion in regard to the younger audience. But other WWF programmes did not require the same warning. He says they are responsible TV producers who work hard to bring you the wacky world of the WWF. The last hour of the 22nd of December edition of Raw defeated the last hour of Nitro by two tenths of a rating point. Raw has outdrawn Nitro a few times in a quarter hour matchup over the last 18 months, but to have an entire hour of Raw outdrawn Nitro is even more remarkable. Nitro began with its usual strong rating of a 4 for hour 1, but dropped to 3.6 when Raw and Monday Night Football began at 9pm. Raw posted a relatively strong 3.0 rating for its first hour. The third hour of Nitro dropped dramatically to a 3.0 rating, while Raw grew to a 3.2 in that head-to-head hour. This is particularly remarkable because it was the go-home show for Starcade, supposed to be the biggest pay-per-view in WCW history in terms of hype, anticipation, and most importantly, number of buys. More people were watching Raw, with Shawn Michaels having a mock match against Triple H, than the final angle leading into Starcade. Thank you very much, gents, for running through the news. Um, Rory, I'll come to you first. Out of all those news stories, what would you say is the biggest for the WWF this month, and uh, what would you say that level of importance is? It's quite a quiet month, especially when compared to uh, November. I'd say the one they're going to be the most happy with is the bit of news I just read out about the last hour of Raw beating Nitro's last hour. And as we said, it wasn't just any throwaway Nitro last hour. It was the final chance Nitro had to build the Starcade pay-per-view. And what turned out to be a sham of a match between uh, Shawn Michaels and Triple H for Shawn's, as he puts it, coveted European title, ended up defeating uh, defeating uh, WCW Nitro by point two, which is outside the margin of error. So it was a clear victory. And for them to virtually end the year, with that particular um, uh, result, they're going to be very, very pleased with that. On a throwaway Christmas show where nobody's really watching, perhaps, but I think that uh, Vince McMahon will be patting himself on the back for that one. Was he particularly even trying to win the, the ratings here? Possibly not, because this edition of Raw was taped two weeks previously. So WWF probably weren't caring that much about it either. But to do that and still win, final hour, bodes well. Yeah, I mean, like you say, the the way WCW has built Starcade for 
over a year now and leading to that Hogan Sting match. Um, obviously, that will be covered more in the WCW edition. But for WWF to beat that with a, the, the go home angle for that with a taped war is, is pretty remarkable. Um, Craig, anything, any notes from you on any of the news topics before we move on? Uh, to yeah. The- Sorry, I cut you off. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd largely agree with what, uh, what Rory said, but it's worth noticing the, the sort of big transitions as well from whether that's McMahon uh, moving on to uh, the, the heel uh, owner role or even just the, the announcement of the, the new direction of uh, the company. Obviously, those are both sort of, you can only sort of speculate at this stage on the impact of both of those whereas you can point uh, to an obvious success with the ratings but uh, as the company heads into 1998 they got to be quite positive I guess probably the only the only blip mentioned in the news for them is really the sort of condition of uh, Austin which is still a bit up in the air but yeah a, a largely positive month with uh, some bright hope for the future It seems strange that off the back of November um, when you look at the state of the WWF in November with the Survivor Series and Brett leaving, joining WCW. You have the NWO uh, welcoming Brett and that angle on Nitro during November. Uh, you get to the end of December and already it feels like WWF is in a better place than it was before Survivor Series. And that's quite a quick turnaround for how drastic and damaging Brett leaving and that whole Montreal screwjob could have impacted the WWF. There's quite a, a big transition already. And like you said, there's a few talking points in the news there that, that point towards a more positive future for the WWF. Gold dust nurse who was revealed to be that woman, Luna, who's standing in the ring with the Jerry, the King Lawler. This should be an interesting interview. Bitch! And the bitch is back! <laughs> She's an Elton John fan, too. What must Marlena be thinking right now at home? Well, look at oh. him. Look at him. The man there before you has been a prisoner of his life since he was a child. First! To an overbearing, overweight father, and then to a petite, gum-sucking gold digger. I am the woman that has brought the key to set him free from his living hell. He made this choice? He chose to set him free from his closet. Heel boy. The artist formerly known as Gold. Now you scum suck. What a loving relationship they must have, huh? Lola ought to do this interview in a body condom. We'll never be the same again. Wonder how they celebrated Thanksgiving. There will be no rules. There will be no boundaries. But there will. There will be whips and 
James! Why am I not surprised? Okay, hey, hold on. You talk about whips and chains. Let me talk for just a second about whippings. You know, the artist formerly known as Goldust has somebody in the World Wrestling Federation that is ter oh. determined to give him a whipping and one that I don't think he'll enjoy. And I'm talking about Vader. Vader! What is Goldust You doing? learned one thing! Pain and pleasure go together before the torture is over, Vader. You will drag my little gum-sucking kitten's chain. And you will do it before he is dead. We open up Raw on December the 1st with Road Dog and Billy Gunn coming out. Road Dogg dedicated their victory last week to the memory of the Legion of Doom and said that the Road Warriors are wrestling history. The LRD showed up in street clothes and sent them both packing. Animal says there is no way they could ever beat them fair and square and they won't leave the building tonight without the belts. Takamichinoku defeats Aguia in the light heavyweight tournament semi-final. Goldust arrives with Luna in an absurd S&M type look complete with gag and dog collar. Luna says Goldust has always lived under the control of his overweight father. That's like father like son these days. The artist formerly known as Goldust crawls over to Luna. She says there are no rules or boundaries but there are whips and chains. A four corners elimination match between Chains, D-Lo, Miguel Perez and Recon entered a DQ in a 16 man brawl involving all four factions. The DOA finished the segment on top. Shawn Michaels comes out in a wheelchair for a DX promo. Triple H says he isn't afraid of a match with Sergeant Slaughter. He'll be bringing all the heavy artillery save for his big bazooka, which he'll save for Mrs. Slaughter. Shawn says China's workout program put him in a wheelchair, but he now has a high pain tolerance, perfect to counter any submission hold from Shamrock. With that, Triple H spins HBK's fake knee around four times. Michael says that it was uncomfortable and his quote-unquote leg is pointing in the wrong direction. They show the finish from Montreal, acknowledging that Sean didn't react like you'd expect someone who'd just won a title to. They promised more never-before-seen be never footage later. We kick off the second hour with Rocky Maivia versus Vader. The Rock is still wearing the IC title belt and declares this will be a non-title match. Before the match can get going, Stone Cold Steve Austin enters the arena by driving his black custom truck. He stands on top of the car drinking beers as the match gets underway. We can continually cut between the match in the ring and Austin and his truck drinking beers and leading cheers. Goldust runs out and attacks Vader on the outside before throwing him back in the ring. The Rock hits a suplex and an elbow but Vader rolls to the outside and chases Goldust and Luna away for the count out loss. Austin encourages more Rocky Sucks chants to close the segment. Kane interrupts the second light heavyweight semi-final, chokes only Scott Taylor before Brian Christopher could even come out. Jeff Jarrett refuses to wrestle Ahmed Johnson, sounds like he's injured anyway, citing a lack of bill for a star like Double J. Sergeant Slaughter comes out and says he can't force Jarrett to wrestle tonight, but he can force him to wrestle at the pay-per-view against The Undertaker. The Legion of Doom interfere in the Headbangers match against Road Dogg and Billy Gunn. Mocking Survivor Series where Al Hebner ran through the back through a moving car and left the building. Gunn and the Road Dogg grab the titles, run right through to the back, straight into a car and speed away. 
The latest in the Mero Sable storyline involves a Jim Cornette interview who says the fans don't care about Mero, only Sable. Mero says without him, Sable would be nothing and he'll teach Butterbean a lesson on Sunday. Mero does some sparring with Sable, holding some gloves, but she doesn't do very well, so he shouts at her. Hunter has helped these out with the rest of DX to face Jim Neidhart. After a small amount of Neidhart offence, Sean gets on the apron as a distraction while China slides a chair into Hunter. China then distracts the ref and Hunter blasts Neidhart in the back with a chair for the three count. Triple H hits a pedigree on the chair after the match and Shaw spray paints WCW on his back. Neidhart make a brief comeback before China cuts him off and handcuffs him to the ropes. Sergeant Slaughter runs out to make the save, but Sean and Hunter beat him down too. Ken Sharrock then runs down, hits a huge belly-to-belly suplex on Michaels and puts him in the ankle lock. Neidhart holds China back and Slaughter puts Hunter in the Cobra for clutch as Michaels submits vigorously as Raw goes off the air. Um, but with that, let's uh, head straight into our uh, WWF uh, coverage for the month. And we move to the uh, In Your House Degeneration X pay-per-view. Um, Craig, would you kindly run us through the results of the show? Of course. In the opening match, Takamishi Noku defeated Brian Christopher uh, to win the newly re-established WWF Light Heavyweight Championship. In the second match, uh, Los Bariquas, uh, Jesus Castillo, Jose Estrada and Michael Perez Junior with Savio Vega defeated the Disciple Apocalypse made up of eight ball, chains and skull in a six man tag match. Butterbean then defeated Mark Miro by disqualification in a tough, tough man match. In the match for the WWF Tag Team Championship, the New Age Outlaws, uh, Billy Gunn and Road Dog retained uh, by DQ over the Legion of Doom. Triple H, along with China, defeated Sergeant Slaughter in a boot camp match that lasted nearly 20 minutes. Jeff Jarrett defeated The Undertaker by disqualification. Stone Cold Steve Austin uh, defeated The Rock with Dilo Brown, Farouk and Cameron Mustafa to retain his Intercontinental Championship. And in the main event, Ken Shamrock defeated the WWF champion Shawn Michaels along with China and Triple H by DQ. Rory, what did you make of the final WWF pay-per-view of 1997? Of the three December in your houses that the WWF have served up for us, this was probably the best, I would say. The bar is very low, and lows continued in the middle of this show. But it started quite well. It ended quite well. And under normal circumstances, I would say the less said about the middle, the better. But that's what we're here for. But by and large, for a December show, it was just the about the right side of okay, I think. Craig, what did you make of the show? I thought it was shit. Uh, <laughs> there was far too many uh, DQ finishes for a start. What was that? F- uh, uh, half of the match e- matches ended in DQ. I thought the opening match was uh, somewhat entertaining, uh, probably the strongest in the show, and it just sort of uh, pun unintended degenerated from, from there. It was it was really really poor. Uh, yeah, just just a lot of a lot of rubbish stuff here. Yeah, I, I know we're going to go into it in more detail, but yeah, not not a fan of this at all. I think my opinion sort of lay, lies closer to Rory's than it does yours, Craig. I mean, I'm not I'm not disagreeing that this was a poor show. I just as I was watching it, I knew it was a poor show. And like for example, the, the tough man match between Miro and Butterbean, like that was that was garbage. But I kind of enjoyed it at the same time, like. It was so rubbish that I thought it was a laugh. And 
the opener was good. I, I like the main event apart from the, the finish, which was absolutely horrible. Um, I mean, this was this was a bad show, but I think I've seen plenty worse. Um, but as as we all said, we'll get more into it as we come to each individual match. So, uh, in your house, D Generation X, uh, we open proceedings at a sold out Springfield Civic Center with a big pyro display before Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler run through the card for the evening. Our opening match is Brian Christopher taking on Taka Michinoku in the culmination of the light heavyweight tournament. Uh, Christopher took a sign from the crowd which reads Taka and rips it in half by you before using it to wipe his ass. Christopher kicks off the match with a scoop slam and follows it up with an arm drag during a slow stalling opening. Jokes about Taka's size and he says, you know why Disneyland failed in Japan? Because nobody was tall enough to go on the rides. Taka flips out of a German suplex and follows up with a pair of drop kicks before sending Christopher over the top rope with a clothesline and following up with a fantastic springfall plunger to the floor. Back in the ring, Christopher crotches, crotches Taka on the top rope and knocks him to the floor before trying a dive to the outside of his own. Taka moves and Christopher hits the railing, drawing a fair amount of blood from his mouth. Taka misses with a missile drop kick, but avoids a splash in the corner before hitting a tornado DDT for two. Christopher rolls to the outside, and but Taka hits a Springfield moonsault to the floor to wipe him out. Moves to check on his son and wipes some blood away from his face before telling him to get in there and kill him. Christopher hits a full Nelson face buster and a, a sit-out powerbomb for two. Taka reverses the pin and gets a two-count off his own. Christopher hits a missile dropkick and taunts the crowd before following up with a failasser. He hits a backbreaker for a two. Christopher keeps control by using uh, the old boss man sliding punch and slaps Taka around for a while while taunting the crowd. He hits a German suplex and begins stalling, taunting the crowd some more, posing, and then hits a leg drop for a two count but quickly follows up with a power slam. He heads to the top looking for the Tennessee jam led drop, but Taka moves out of the way. Taka is able to hit the Michinoku driver to win and become the WWF light heavyweight champion after around 12 minutes. Tony Gurea, Gerald Briscoe and Pat Passon come to the ring and present Taka with the belt before posing with photos to cap off the opener. Uh, Rory, come to you first. What were your thoughts on this match? Yeah, good little match here, I thought, and the right person won. My problem with it is the fact that it didn't feel like a light heavyweight match at all. And that wasn't Tucker's fault, it was Brian Christopher's fault. Christopher isn't a light heavyweight or a cruiserweight. He's just a small heavyweight who works heavyweight style. And the guys uh, talked about this when Tucker came into play Sorsuke at the Canadian Stampede in July. If you're going to have a light heavyweight championship, go all in with it. Bring in your, bring in your high fries and your super flippy do guys. And that, that's what WCW do. I don't always enjoy it a massive amount, but they do go all in with it. WWF can't help but play their North American style card a lot of the time. But for that match, it was very good. Tacker is obviously a very versatile competitor, and he was able to work with Christopher well. Christopher's heel tactics, they're perfectly acceptable for what they are. I mean, I'm quite tired of those now in 1997, but he's from Memphis, you know. You can't take it out of the boy, as they say. And the finish was emphatic enough. You know, Tucker won without any any rubbish or nonsense, clean in the middle of the ring. Big pop. There's a, clearly a real affinity behind him. So, yeah, no real complaints on this one for the WWF's style of light heavyweight, but I do wish they'd let them go a bit more. Uh, yeah, I'd largely agree with uh, what Rudy just said. Uh, it is a very WWF style match, which is a shame. It's not the sort of flippy stuff that you would uh, 
you would have certainly seen in WCW, which would have sort of marked out as uh, looking different from the rest of what is presented. But yeah, I, I thought this was a really uh, fun opener. It's crazy to think Takamishinoku is only about 24 here. Uh, looks really good. Uh, maybe didn't get see as much of them as, as we could have done. It was see, largely sort of Christopher dominated this one. But yeah, I thought I thought it was a pretty fun fun little encounter. I did think it was a little bit odd that. Uh, Brian Christopher used uh, Billy Gunn's finishing move, uh, but uh, yeah, that's a, just a, a random note. Uh, but yeah, no, I enjoyed this. Yeah, I thought this was a decent opener. It was, it was fine, told a good story, had a good level of crowd heat for, for the action in the ring, and the crowd put really big for Taka winning and picking up the title, so thumbs up, really. Uh, Christopher maybe, like you said, as far as this being a light heavyweight match, he maybe stalled a bit too much a few much crowd taunting and posing a bit too much Memphis for a light heavyweight match, but it did garner the desired reaction from the crowd. And there were enough high spots from Taka really that this, this match was fine. Um, had Brian Christopher in a, a light heavyweight match, I, I thought they worked quite well together. And like you said, Rory, it's not in the stratosphere of, of the better WCW cruiserweight matches, but this was, this was fine as a pay-per-view opener. I, I quite enjoyed it. Los Bariquez taking on the DOA in a six-man tag team match. Uh, Savio Vega came out with the Bariquez, but he was sent to the back by referee Tim White in order to make sure there isn't any interference. We have Miguel Perez, Jesus Castillo, and Jose Estrada Jr. taking on Chains, Skull, and Eight Ball. Miguel Perez and Chains get started. Chains hits a big boot, a hip toss, and follows with a clothesline before striking the two Bariquas on the apron. Eight Ball and Jesus tag in, with Eight Ball hitting a face buster, which called Jesus to tag out and tag in Estrada. The OOA continued their control of the match with some double team clotheslines on Estrada, and Eight Ball followed up with a sidewalk slam. Miguel cuts Eight Ball off with a kick from the apron, which allowed Estrada to take control of the match. Miguel tagged in and hits a standing moonsault. Miguel coming off the top with a forearm, but his knee seemed to give out on the landing, and he writhed around in agony, tagged out, and rolled to the floor. Dale points out the man in the ring could be Skull, but he's no longer sure. I thought it was 8-ball. idea now, so it doesn't really matter. Savio Vega runs back out from the back. He jumps on the apron, seeming attempting to replace the injured Miguel, but the referee won't allow it. Jesus tries a shoulder tackle in the corner, but 8-Ball moves and gets a hot tag to Chains. Chains hits a clothesline on Estrada and follows up with a Death Valley driver. Jesus distracts the referee, and Miguel sprints in from the outside with no sign of that earlier knee injury before hitting a somersault leg drop on Chains and putting Estrada on top for the pin. Craig, we'll come to you on that one. What did you make of this six-man tag match? Oh, uh, it was just there, I think. Uh, if... At any point in 97, the gang warfare stuff had a highlight. I think we're very much towards the, the end of its run. It's, uh, yeah, this it, it was pretty grim. I think, uh, there was one highlight for me in this match, uh, and that was the shave your back chance directed at Miguel. And there was one highlight from your recap of it, because whilst I'm never one to pick up on people getting someone's names wrong, I do think it's pronounced Jesus, but I do enjoy a little bit of wrestling commentary referring to Jesus, so I, I, th- I think that works. But yeah, so they, they were my two highlights from this match, and neither of them really involved the match. Well, I'm glad uh, <laughs> to offer some positivity to what was the complete dud. Uh, Rory, what did you uh, make of this one? 
<laughs> says the person who called him Michael Perez Jr. when he was going through the um, <laughs> 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 we can redo that at the end and we can delete that <laughs> you had to drop one in didn't you yeah, um, <laughs> so of the 468 millionth uh, match between our, our wonderful gangs this one ranked about number 468 million on the list not that I ever want to see number one ever again yeah just I still don't know what they're fighting for. I still don't know what any of this is about. The only thing I will say in its slight defense to take it up to like 0.1 out of 10 is they actually had some sort of story here with the, the fake injury angle, which did play into the finish. And that was actually a pretty nifty spinning somersault leg drop. So credit where it's due. Never said that I'm completely unduly negative. But yes, can we please, please, please put the gang wars to bed now? I feel like I've been saying that for the last five months. That's uh if you shout, if you shout loudly enough, somebody will eventually hear, as they say. So let's keep at it. But yeah, no more of this, please. Yeah, th- this was a complete dud. It was almost impossible not to completely check out of this match. It was only six, seven minutes long, and it was it was sloppy. It was boring. Um, tag team match with nothing at stake. But like you said, at least the the finish had had some semblance of a story to it. I don't, I don't know that it, it means anything. Um, like, well, you know, it doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> at least, at least there was a little bit of in-match storytelling that played into a finish, I guess, and it wasn't just a a, a bland DQ. I guess that's that's something positive. But th- this was a complete dud. We cut backstage to Doc Hendricks, who is with Butterbean, his manager and his trainer. Hendricks asks Butterbean if he feels 100% after competing on a pay-per-view the night before. Butterbean says his adrenaline levels will carry him through, and last night was just a warm-up for his match tonight. Butterbean then ends his promo by saying this, The way he treats Sable, I just, I just, I don't even want to talk about it. Hendricks throws to Michael Cole, who is with Sable. Cole says Sable attended the Butterbean fight last night and he fought on Oscar De La Hoya's undercard. You get a vi- video package looking at the rivalry between Miro and Butterbean. And Sable, and Cole says, show, uh, Cole shows us some photos of Sable holding up Butterbean's championship belt after his victory the night before. Sable says, our heart is with Marvelous Mark. Miro then interrupts and berates Sable for trying to steal his spotlight, and he says he was going to destroy that fat tub of crap. With that, it is time for Mark Miro versus Butterbean in what is being billed as a four-round tough man match. If this girl goes the distance, then the referee will be the judge and decide the winner. The story behind this is that it couldn't be called a boxing match because officially boxing is regulated and thus cannot be worked. Um, it, it couldn't be called a boxing exhibition because Butterbean, as a licensed boxer, had a, had a fight the previous night on that Oscar de la Hoya pay-per-view, and the Athletic Commission won't actually allow anyone to take part in, even if one's an exhibition, that close in time. So the WWF actually had to call this a tough man contest. Uh, we get a full tale of the tape. Uh, both guys are 31. Miro is six foot one to Butterbean's six feet. Uh, both have the same reach of 78 inches, but Butterbean outweighed Miro by 90 pounds. Both guys are wearing huge 18 ounce gloves of covered with tough man rules. The first round opens with Butterbean keeping on Miro with jabs and Miro running to the ropes for a break. The third time Miro stuck his head between the ropes to force a break, Butterbean leaned over and caught him with a right hand, which sent Miro tumbling to the outside. Round. 
Miro snuck up behind Butterbean and hit a cheap shot to the back of the head. The referee spent the break reiterating to Miro that he wanted a clean fight, and the second round opened with Miro sprinting across the ring to hit Butterbean with a flying knee in the corner. Butterbean's cornerman complained to the referee about it, which allows Miro to choke Butterbean with his wrist tape. The rest of the round backing away from Butterbean, hitting the occasional counterpunch, while Butterbean pressed forward. At the end of the round, Miro hit Butterbean with a drop kick as he attempted to walk back to his corner. Butterbean shoved one of his own cornermen over in an attempt to get to Miro, who had ducked out of the ring to avoid him. Into round three, and Butterbean came out quickly, walking forward with his hands down, daring Miro to throw. Butterbean traps Miro against the ropes and lands a few body shots. Both men stand in the centre of the ring, and I say this very, very lightly, trade punches back and forth. To end the round, Butterbean grabs Miro's head, holds it in place, and windmills his right hand and hits him with a punch to knock Miro down. The bell rings to save Miro, and Butterbean throws a bucket of ice water over him to revive him. The fourth round starts, and Butterbean comes out. He hits another big right hand to knock Miro to the mat. Miro doesn't like that very much, so he gets up and responds with a huge low blow for the DQ 10 seconds into the round. Miro follows up by breaking his stool over Butterbean before fleeing as Butterbean chases him down the aisle to wrap up the segment. Rory, I'll come to you first on that one. Um, what did you make of this tough man match? Yeah, I think that you spent so much of your time laughing during your recap there, Chris, so it speaks volumes. Um, Worked boxing matches just don't work. They didn't work at WrestleMania 2, Piper against Mr. T. They didn't work at Uncensored 95 when Murrow himself, as Johnny B. Bad, was up against Arn Anderson. And time, you know, it's just not going to, it's not going to happen in the, without tying yourself in two knots here. You're in a scripted environment where you're recreating a real sport, but you can't call it that real sport because that real sport is regulated to, oh no, no. You could, you could kill yourself trying to work it out. So I'll just go on what we did actually see, which was not much. I'm still not entirely sure why they even, why they even brought Butterbean in. I mean, all this talk throughout the month, reading through the sheets that they're trying to get Mike Tyson in. They even mentioned him on one of the Raws a bit later on. And yet they settle for, for now, Butterbean, somebody who isn't even a boxer in the strictest uh, official sense of the word. Certainly not to the extent that Mera was in his previous career anyway. Uh, Mero did play a great heel here. I think the switch has been fantastic for him, giving him a whole new lease of life. Again, much like with, maybe on a slightly lower scale, with Rocky Maivia. Now, where has this guy been hiding for so long? Now, if he's got this talent as this character. Let him bloom with it. Yeah, it's, there's only so much they could actually do when you're trading worked, worked punches. They got the big set piece wrong in the first round when Butterbean was supposed to knock Mero to the floor and clearly whiffed on the contact. As you said, the trading of punches was lame and lackadaisical. And just like at WrestleMania 2, it ended with a stupid disqualification finish that nobody bought. But yeah, they had to use Butterbean somehow for the sake of bringing him in. But um, despite Mero's attempt to carry this, this was DOA. Craig, what do you think of this match? Uh, I found your explanation of why this couldn't be called a boxing match or a boxing exhibition more interesting than the match itself. I think uh, even Mark Mero's antics couldn't save this. And uh, as anyone that's listened to our podcast know, I'm not the biggest Mark Mero fan. So I don't know if that's damning with faint praise or just desperately clutching to straws. But yeah, no, this is uh, pretty rubbish. Uh, 
I don't even really know why they're why they're doing the whole tough man thing, why they've got Butterbean in at all. But hey, they're trying it, so they're trying to get their money's worth out of it. But yeah, this is a total dud. Enjoyed this, like it was a, it was mess, it was a mess, and it was shit. But like the third round was just so horrible that like, the punches were just awful. I was laughing; I thought it was quite funny. And like the, the end of the first round, when Miro runs across the ring and hits a cheap shot, I was like, "Oh yeah, like that's as expected." The end of the next round, and hit, no, he started the next round by sprinting across and hitting a flying knee, and ended the round by hitting a drop kick. I was like, this is just so ridiculous. I can't not enjoy this. Like, it was, it was, it was just funny. Like, it was awful, but I enjoyed it. I don't know how to really think about this one. Like, I wouldn't watch it again, but it was probably the the thing that was like, to know it, it wasn't good in any way, but I liked it probably more than I liked anything else on the pay per view because there are a couple of good matches, but you see good matches all the time, like. I'd, this was just ridiculous. Um, those giant gloves as well, the 18-ounce gloves, they're not light, and they will properly knacker your arms. So, like, credit to both guys, I guess, for, for that. I don't really know what else to say about this. Like, and uh, Craig, I, I like, I, I've not... Romero um, as, like, being on this show this year, but um, for this month, he was one of my favourite characters on, on the Raws and on, like on this pay-per-view. I, I thought some of his heel work was just funny. Like, I, he's, he's like, he's such a douchebag that you kind of laugh at him, but he's like also quite, fu- I don't know. I, I, I appreciated Mark Miro throughout the month, um, quite a lot really. And, uh, I, I don't know how to consider this match. It was just horrible, but I laughed. So I enjoyed it. <laughs> it probably shouldn't have gotten ten minutes though. But again, um, there was... I, I would agree on that. Yeah, definitely. That they didn't need three rounds of um, worked punching uh, before. The, the the good bits were all the in between stuff anyway. The actual, as Rory said, worked boxing was hideous. Um, but uh, yeah, I kind of did enjoy this. Next up, we have Luna Vachon coming out with the artist formerly known as Goldust for a promo. Uh, they're wearing disgustingly outfits that are just disgusting basically uh luna says that the artist formerly known as goldust wishes to express himself goldust says he has a little ditty to read that he wrote as a child and proceeded to read sam i am by dr seuss this is one of the worst segments i've ever seen on a pay-per-view well carl is backstage with the lod carl asks if they have anything to say after the fast which saw them lose the tag title to the road dog and billy gun two weeks ago Animal says there is no way any athletes in the WWF could beat them fair and square. And Hawks compares their opponents to hard-to-reach boogers. Time for the WWF Tag Team Championship match with Road Dogg and Billy Gunn defending their titles against the Legion of Doom. The LOD are out first and waste no time getting into the ring. The Outlaws make their way to the ring with Road Dogg on the mic as usual and they take their time. This causes the LOD to leave the ring and chase them back down the aisle. Rodor keeps on the mic as they're in the back and says they have to stretch a little more before they're ready. Again, but this time the WWF prevents them from going to the back and Hawk and Animal run down the aisle and attack them, dragging them back to the ring to get the match underway. The match starts with a slow pace as Animal methodically beats down Road Dog. Hawk tags in and hits a drop kick, so Road Dog rolls to the outside. 
Hawk follows, but Road Dog jumps back in and catches him on the way back in. Hawk regains the advantage with a neckbreaker, and Road Dog rolls outside again with Billy Gunn there to offer some support and lays them both out with double clothesline. Hawk takes Road Dog apart on the outside before rolling him back into the ring and continuing the beatdown with stomps and kicks. Catched caught an attempted leapfrog into a powerbomb, but Billy Gunn broke up the attempted pin. Again, an animal lays in some punches on the outside. The Outlaws try to bail on the match, but the LOD cut them off. The referee is dealing with Animal, ordering him into the corner, so Billy Gunn low blows Hawk, and Road Dog hits him with a cooler full of drinks, which is enough to finally convince him to sell. him over back in the ring before tagging last time in the match. Uh, Gunn works Hawk over with punches and chin locks before we get a double down as both men hit clotheslines. Animal gets there, and I say this lightly again, running over Road Dog with a clothesline and hitting Gun with a power slam. The LOD set up the Doomsday device, referee on the outside, and Henry Godwin runs in out of nowhere and smashes Animal with a slot bucket. Hall gets hold of the bucket, and he clocks both Gun and Road Dog with it before swinging at the referee to bring the disqualification. Uh, Craig, I'll come to you first on this tag team title match. Was this, was this a match fitting of championship status if you've ever seen one? It's probably not the greatest tag team match ever. Uh, yeah, this is tough, tough to watch. You know you're in a pretty bad place when out of the four guys, the road dog's probably the best. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's quite, uh, the, uh, Legion of Doom are pretty rough to watch at this stage. Uh, I mean, this is what, more than 20 years after they, they first debuted, the, the, the act's very, very stale. The New Age Outlaws are showing great potential, probably still not there yet. Billy Gunn just looks wildly green, and the, the Road Dog has to sort of just take take charge here. And yeah, in New Age Outlaws' defence, it looks bloody tough to work with the Legion of Doom because they, as you pointed out, countless times they just don't sell shit at all but yeah this is really bad 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 stuff it's the WWF tag team division isn't that great at this time Rory uh, your thoughts on this match yeah if you're gonna have the LOD in December 1997 then you have to at least put them in there with heels who will be able to throw themselves around for them but uh dog and gun just can't do that I think gun is actually very miscast as a bad guy to be perfectly honest He's a he's a good hot tag man in tags, but that's about it. He, he he's struggling in this here role, in my opinion. Uh, Jesse James is dealing with it quite well because he's he's quick on the stick, as they say, even though he's pretty damn slow in the ring. And yeah, there was nothing going here. Well, Alody just offer nothing, and they care even less, and that's a recipe for complete disaster. And I think everybody here was maybe. Not for the last time today, but people were just expecting a DQ finish because this feud must continue. I was rather hoping it wouldn't include the Godwins, so once again, we're going to be getting, as we head inexorably into 1998 with the tag team division still not looking in particularly great shape, and it's been that way for getting on two years now. Uh, yeah, you'll, you'll find no positivity for me for this match. It was, it was so bad, absurdly slow. Completely heatless. 
a truly awful finish. Uh, the, the LOD just passed it. Um, it just it just didn't work. And the worst thing about the finish was that, like you say, Rory, we're going to have to see this match again at some point with the Godwins thrown in. So massive thumbs down for this match. And it was it was very boring. And it, it killed any lingering positivity I had from that Tough Man match. With that, we move on to a boot camp match between Hunter Hurst Helmsley and Sergeant Slaughter. We see a video package hyping up Sarge's Cobra, Cobra Clutch. Michael Cole is with Triple H in China. Triple H says he has a special survival kit for Slaughter, which includes a comb, prunes, and adult diapers. He says he'll be making a visit into Sarge's wife later tonight. <laughs> oh, God. He's <laughs> back. <laughs> Jim Cornette is backstage with Sergeant Slaughter. He asks if he feels prepared to fight Helmsley. Sarge calls Helmsley a piece of human experiment and says he isn't here for a wrestling match. He's here to beat up a piece of crap who's insulting his family. Helmsley, accompanied by China, came out wearing street gear, a cut-off T-shirt tucked into his jeans, and knee pads over the jeans with the jeans tucked into his boots. Patriots old theme music. Sarge rolled into the ring and both men started trading punches. Slaughter gets the upper hand, working Helmsley over methodically with punches before beating down Helmsley uh, with a riding crop. Sarge hits a kick to the body and follows up with a gut buster. He tosses Helmsley over the top rope to the floor and drives him face first into the steel steps. Helmsley up and drops him across the ringside railing. Uh, Back inside and Sarge begins whipping Helmsley about with his leather belt before choking him with it. Work Helmsley over and gets a two count uh, with a clothesline. He looks for the Cobra clutch, but Helmsley is able to avoid it. Helmsley counters an Irish whip attempt and launches Sarge into the corner, with Slaughter taking his trademark bump over the corner to the outside. Helmsley tosses Slaughter over the railing into the crowd. Uh, he attempts to take the ring bell, but the timekeeper refuses to let go of it. Timekeeper Mark Eaton, Helmsley was able to get the hold of the ring bell by absolutely smashing Eaton with it and laying him out. This delay allowed Sarge a breather and he came back and cut Helmsley off with a clothesline before he could use the ring bell. Back inside the ring, Helmsley took control of the match once again, whipping and choking Sarge with his own belt. China passed Helmsley a chain from the outside and Helmsley laid out Sarge with it, getting a two count. The crowd is completely dead here. As a holder of the chain looks to use it, but Helmsley backdrops him over the top to the outside. Back inside, Triple H comes off the top but gets caught with a boot from Sarge. Sarge follows with a suplex, goes up to the top rope, but Helmsley cuts him off and slams him. Two. Up with a sleeper hold that lasted about two and a half minutes. Um, it didn't seem to work on Sarge, but was pretty effective on, effective on me. Sarge eventually fights <laughs> out of the hold, locks in the dreaded Cobra Clutch, China jumps in the ring, shoves down the ref and breaks up the hold with an eye rake. The referee berates China, so he gets laid out with a forearm. China goes outside, grabs a steel chair, but he cuts her off by throwing a bunch of powder in her eyes. Helmsley takes advantage of the distraction by hitting a big boot, but Slaughter is able to counter and hit in a, lock in a second Cobra clutch. China re-enters the ring, this time covered in the powder, and hits him with a huge low blow to break up the hold. Helmsley picks Sarge up, hits a pedigree on the steel chair, which is enough to mercifully bring this to bring a match to the cl- bring this match to a close. 
Rory, come to you first. What did you make of uh, this match and, and Sergeant Slaughter in 1997? The 17 minutes and 39 seconds, no less. They've actually spent a lot of time on Raw in the last few weeks building up this match, and they gave Slaughter the big video package treatment beforehand. Almost, almost enough to convince me that this deserved, warranted a place on pay-per-view. And then, as we say, the bell rang. All the credit in the world to Slaughter. He was absolutely trying out there. This match had never been booked in the first place, but he was giving it his equivalent of an all for a 49-year-old man. Long, long, long past his best. He was doing everything he could for Helmsley out there. Selling everything, even his old corner bump whip where he falls to the floor. He was doing a 70-ish percent version of that, maybe being charitable, but there you go. He was absolutely trying, but why would you give him 17 minutes? The fact they had to do the Cobra Coach thing twice to fill time, uh, having Mark Eaton take a shot with the bell because, hey, why the hell not? He rang a bell last month. And just stuff like that, which is clearly just to pad this one out. Didn't need to be 17 minutes. I don't even think it needed to be half the length. And it doesn't really do much for Helmsy that he needed nearly 20 minutes to beat a washed-up, overweight Sergeant Slaughter. And even then, he needed China's help to do so. So it makes you wonder what the point of the whole exercise was, really. So, yes, Slaughter tried his best. I do give him credit for that, but this should never, ever have happened. Craig, your thoughts on this match? Uh, an admirable attempt from Rory to set an offence there, but I do think he didn't really like this match. Uh, I'm struggling to give Sergeant Slaughter much praise. After all, quite early into this, he tried to pin Triple H on outside, and the ref told him it's not a false count anywhere match. And this is a bloody book. This is Sergeant Slaughter's match. Uh, it's, it's completely wild that a 28-year-old uh, Triple H needs China's assistance to be up, up a 50-year-old man. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think anyone benefits from this. It was boring, it was far too long, but I did enjoy Triple H's ridiculously dickish uh, pre-match comments. Uh, I, had, I basically had to mute the mic throughout your recap uh, just so I could continue laughing at what a terrible human being Triple H was in 1997. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, pretty horrible stuff, uh, pretty pointless. It wasn't even really explained what a boot camp match was either. Uh, there was, a, there was another match ages ago, I think it was an Undertaker one where the rules weren't explained and it just seemed to be made up on, on the way through. But yeah, no, this, was, uh, this wasn't great. It uh, wasn't great at all uh, and pretty boring. To say that one was the Undertaker Rest in Peace match against Giant Gonzalez in SummerSlam 93. Thank you for it. the reminder of that one, Mr Wilson. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know whose idea it was. Well, I think I do. But whoever had the idea of booking Sergeant Slaughter in a 17-minute match in 1997, just this was just painful. Um, and I, I, I would agree with Rory in that. I don't think it was for a lack of effort. Sarge did take some big bumps in there, took the two to the outside, the slam off the top. But the pace was just excruciating. Um, I don't know if I could have asked for anything more from, from Sarge, really. And... I do think the blame kind of lies with much time to this match. Um, you kind of need the, the old veteran babyface coming out of retirement to be really over for this to work. And Sarge didn't really fit that description. At least to me, he didn't fit that description with this crowd who were completely dead throughout the full 17 minutes. Um, 
for Triple H, like you both said, Eva. It was it was it was a bad bad match, but that wasn't through a lack of effort. Always backstage with Jeff Jarrett. Jarrett says that tonight is the night the cream rises to the top, and that after he puts the Undertaker away, he'll be the number one contender, and it won't be long until he becomes WWF champion. So it is time for Jeff Jarrett versus the Undertaker. Taker goes in the corner, but Jarrett dodges and lands a punch of his own. They repeat the spot a few times in various corners before Taker eventually grabs Jarrett and hurls him into the corner, unloading with some trademark punches of his own. With a clothesline for a two, Taker hits a signature rope hook forearm before choking Jarrett in the corner. Jarrett tried to come off the top but got caught with Taker looking for a chokeslam, but is able to fight his way out, attacking Taker's left leg. And follows up with a shoulder block to the left knee of Taker to take control of the match. Working over Taker's left leg with kicks until Taker fights his way and is able to hit a backbreaker. He hits a standing leg drop for a two count. Taker goes to work over Jarrett over in the corner when the lights go out and Kane's music fills the arena. Kane and Paul Bearer make their way down to the ring. Jarrett hits Kane's hand, ordering to him to attack the Undertaker, so Kane grabs Jarrett and lays him out with a chokeslam, bringing a DQ. Undertaker in the face, but Taker wouldn't retaliate, so Kane and Bearer left. Jarrett then jumped the Undertaker from behind, trying to take out his knee. Jarrett attempts the figure four, but Taker countered and hits a huge one-hour chokeslam, during which he nearly lost Jarrett. Taker leaves Jarrett in the ring, and after coming to, Jarrett struts in the ring to celebrate his victory to bring a segment to a close. Craig, your thoughts on this match and the re-debut of Jeff Jarrett? Uh, yeah, I, I've got a really short attention span, but did Michael Cole ask him about his in-ring debut ahead of the match? Or did I make that up? That's what I've got written on my notes. No, I think so. I think you're right. right. I think you're right. So WWF was just pretending that the whole mid nineties didn't didn't really happen. Probably <laughs> it probably makes Could've sense been. as a strategy. Yeah. Uh, and, and another question based again, uh, preface it with short attention span. How the bloody hell did we get to the Undertaker versus Jeff Jarrett? Where did this come from? It just seems such a really bizarre match to have so high on on the card. I mean, this sort of positioning on the card is nosebleed territory for uh, Jeff Jarrett. Uh, yeah. Uh, Pretty grim. Uh, it was actually all right in places. It was probably one of the, the strongest matches in certain a couple of matches in this show, really until uh, Kane came in, and then we got another DQ. So, uh, yeah, I, I know it's all going to be about uh, Kane and Undertaker, but I just I just can't really work out why this happened, to be honest. And, yeah, another DQ. Yippee. Rory? It's odd what they're doing with Jarrett, isn't it? It looks like they're trying to give him the 10 million gimmicks he's been saddled with and failed with over his career. Looks like the newest one here is going to be somebody who gets lucky victories and celebrates them as if he's won the world title. It also happens on Raw later in the month as well. But even so, even if he is just here as a plot device in for Undertaker Kane, I thought the match was all right for what it was, but... I just knew that, again, I just knew it wasn't going to end cleanly. Even somebody like Jeff Jarrett, they're not going to jump out straight away. And now we're expecting to see Kane every month. Not a bad thing, because I want to keep that one rolling, but we were all just waiting for the interference here. Um, I really liked 
Undertaker taking a slap and then just not retaliating for a match we all know that we're going to get that's almost certainly going to be at WrestleMania. They're doing their best to make me think it's not going to happen, even though it will. And that's some slow burn storytelling that the WWF must be given credit for. But yeah, Jarrett was just there, but they still tried to make it something with him. Uh, but even so, like Craig has rightly said, at the end of the day, it's The Undertaker versus Jeff Jarrett. And that just makes no sense. Yeah, this match did feel just flat. And I, I, I think Rory is, like you say, it's just because a few minutes and then Kane was going to come out and would get a DQ. It, it was a bit of a non-event, really. And I mean, the actual wrestling was just fine. Like, it wasn't anything special, but it wasn't bad. It just felt boring because you knew where this was going. And, I mean, they, the angle between Taker and Kane, that that is good. And, like like you say, it's good long-term storytelling. But the other aspect of this is how truly awful job this is doing at of finally getting Jeff Jarrett over. I mean, this I don't know what of this, but it's just crap, really. Um, I this was boring, and it did nothing to help the show. And I, I mean, it, the post-match stuff and the, the finish and the, the Kane slapping Taker and the lack of retaliation is good for that storyline. But in terms of the enjoyment levels of this show and getting your money's worth when you've purchased this pay-per-view, this this was a negative rather than a positive for me. We move on with Michael Cole in the crowd interviewing Mark Henry. Henry says he hopes to be back as soon as possible, hopefully hopefully within a couple of weeks. He says that Stone Cold is his man, and he hopes that he wins in the upcoming Intercontinental title match. We get a short video package looking at the rise of Rocky Maivia in the WWF. We get told how he fell in love with himself and became the rock when the fame went to his head. We also take a look at Stone Cold Steve Austin and how he doesn't give a damn who cheers for him and who doesn't. The video package ends with a compilation of Austin hitting members of the nation with stunners. Doc Hendricks is backstage with Mocky Viavia, who is with the nation. The Rock cuts him off and says he only wants to be referred to as The Rock. He calls himself the best goddamn intercontinental champion of all time. We get uh, Rocky Maivia or The Rock versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. The fans chant Rocky sucks to the beat of the nation's theme song, which was pretty good. Uh, Stone Cold comes out in his pickup truck and drives it down to ringside. Austin climbs on top of his truck, walks straight into the ring and takes the fight straight to the rock. The nation jump in the ring before the bell rings and lay Austin out in a brutal three-on-one beating. The beating stops when they go check on the rock, but D'Lo runs at Austin and gets backdropped over the top rope onto Austin's truck. Austin follows D'Lo out and hits him with a stunner on top of his truck. Back in the ring, the nation have left, so when Austin enters, the bell rings and the match is officially underway. Austin and The Rock trade punches in the middle of the ring, and the crowd is absolutely loving this. Austin follows up with some punches before The Rock is able to take control of the match, tossing Austin over the top rope to the outside. The Rock distracts the referee, so Farouk and Kama hit him on the outside. Austin with a chair, but Austin moves and Kama takes the hit. Austin wicks Karma into the truck before returning to the ring. And The Rock is able to take advantage of the distraction from hit a low blow and hits an elbow drop for two. The Rock applies a headlock, but Austin is able to fight out of it, but The Rock cuts him off with a knee to the body. Another elbow drop, but Austin moves, forcing 
the rock into the corner and unload him with kicks and stomps. After another attempted distraction from the nation, the referee inadvertent uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin inadvertently stuns the referee, thinking it was the rock. The rock gets a hold of some brass knuckles, but Austin cuts him off and lays him out with a stunner. Another referee runs down from the back and counts the pin with Austin retaining his intercontinental title after roughly five minutes of madness. Rory, come to you first on this one. What did you make of this IC title match? Yeah, under normal circumstances, I would say that Austin is ready just to be the world champion right now. Put the belt on him yesterday, in fact. But the one thing he cannot do at this point is go in the ring. He has not got that back. He had a four-minute match with Owen Hart to win the title at Survivor Series. He hasn't had a match worthy of the name since. And now here he is on pay-per-view having a five-minute match. I counted the moves he did in this contest. He reversed a roll-up. He hit punches. He hit a Thez press. He hit punches. He hit a lot more punches. A few more punches. And he hit the two stunners, one for D'Lo and one for The Rock. And that's it. And that's a worry. In He won't be able to have four or five-minute world title matches going forward. But I'll tell you what, the crowd flat out loved everything he did. He is there. He is made. He is done. He is a superstar. He is the world champion in all but name, in my opinion. So the match was nothing, but it almost didn't really need to be anything. The only thing I didn't like originally was the false finish with Austin stunning the ref, which was a bit hokey. And it must be said the camera nearly missed it as well. But looking back on it now, they probably wanted a situation where Austin didn't go over 100 million percent clean because we now know that Rocky was supposed to win the belt here so they wanted to throw my beer a little bit of a bone having a false finish brass knucks getting involved that kind of thing but yeah Austin won the crowd loved it Rocky gets his belt the next day in a roundabout way and like I always say at the end of the day you've just got to listen to the crowd and if you can get by with punches and fingers and a stunner then go ahead and do it He's a star. He really is. Craig? Uh, yeah, I thought this was a fun little match. Uh, it's a shame it wasn't longer, but we know why it wasn't longer. Yeah, I, and I'm, in, I'm in total full agreement with, uh, with Rory on uh, the potential of Stone Cold as well. He absolutely should be uh, the world champion, but he's being, being protected. It's a shame. Uh, this, this could have been uh, a lot, a lot better, but uh, obviously for the, the reasons that we all know it wasn't. But, yeah, fun little match. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I thought this was a fun match. Great heat, fantastic pace. Some of it was a mess, like you said, with Austin stunning the referee. Um, I don't really know how that looked because of the camera sort of cutting and almost missing it. But, silly. Um, but this was just frantic. It was crazy. Ultimately, it was fun and the crowd enjoyed it. Got a huge reaction. And the crowd had been pretty flat all evening since the opener, really. So the people involved here, like Austin is a star. And like you say, you can get by with punches and stunners. I think as long as he can talk on the mic and stun someone, then Austin's going to be just fine. Like maybe we'll have to see how it goes with the injury and will that impact his potential as a WWF champion. We'll have to see how he progresses in early 2018. Um, not, sorry, not, uh, 1998, early 1998. Um, um, in, as long as he's got a microphone, can hit some punches and can hit someone with a stunner for a while, I think. Um, 
and he'll be over to this level for a while too. We get a video package of uh, hyping up Ken Shamrock, looking at him suplexing and submitting people before they replay the angle of Triple H twisting Shawn Michaels' foot all the way around from Raw on Monday. We angle of Raw with DX beating on Jim Neidhart until Sergeant Slaughter and Cam- Ken Shamrock came out to make the save. Jim Cornette is backstage with Ken Shamrock. He asks how he was going to counteract Michael's head games. Shamrock says that he has a lot of fighting experience and when that he gets inside his zone, he will hurt Shawn Michaels. JR throws backstage to Michaels, asking how he knows that he doesn't respect many things, but how is, could he not respect the fighting ability of Ken Shamrock? Michael replies with, what do you mean I don't respect anything, you fat tub of goo? Know why he is the number one man in this business. With that, it's time for the main event of the evening, with Shawn Michaels defending his WWF Championship against Ken Shamrock. Oh Hebner is our referee for the WWF title match on the first pay-per-view after Montreal. It opens with Michael stalling before Shamrock takes control with a vicious kick to the head, which causes Shawn to roll out of the ring. Michael stalls some more before tying Shamrock up with a wrist lock, but Shamrock launches Michaels across the ring into the corner by his throat. Shamrock unloads with body shots in the corner before throwing Michaels across the ring into the corner, which sends Michaels sprawling over the top. China gets on the apron to distract Shamrock, and Michaels tries to sneak up behind him, but it doesn't work, and Shamrock hits a huge right hand. Michael gets back on top and tries 10 punches in the corner, but Shamrock keeps throwing him off. On Michael's third attempt at running in, Shamrock catches him with a huge back elbow. Michaels rolls out of the ring again shortly after. Back inside, Shamrock blocks a sunset flip and pounds on Sean in the corner. He launches Sean into the opposing corner and he lands on the top, top turnbuckle. Shamrock kicks Sean into the air and he lands crotched on the top rope, which Shamrock then shakes for good measure. After a belly-to-belly suplex, but Michael grabs the referee to prevent it. As the referee struggles, Michael hits a low blow, which Hebner is unable to see. Walk to the outside with the clothesline and distracts the ref, which allows Helmsley to land a few punches before Michaels comes off the top turnbuckle with a tope on Shamrock to the on the outside. It's a baseball slide from Michaels and begins unloaded punches, laying Helmsley out for good measure before China shoves Shamrock into the ring posts. Sean heads back inside to distract the ref, so China can body slam Shamrock on the mat. Michaels comes off the apron with a splash before throwing Shamrock back inside. Shamrock back before a drop kick, get, drop kick gets him a two count. Michaels goes to drive Shamrock's head into the turnbuckle but Shamrock counters. Sean goes for a body press but Shamrock rolls through for a two count. Chin lock on for a minute or so which Shamrock's fights out of before hitting a clothesline and a power slam which gets a two count. Sean quickly locks on a sleeper before for more stalling. Shamrock powers up, drives Michaels back into the corner before whipping him across the ring and hitting a clothesline in the opposite corner. Back body drop and a verse elbow before a power slam. Shamrock hits a hurricane runner for another near fall. Uh, Michael tried a crucifix into a sunset flip, but Shamrock reversed it into a pin of his own for another two count. Sean thumbs the eye before sending Shamrock into the ropes, but he hits them wrong. The top rope ricochets and hits him in the back of the head, which sends him tumbling to the mat. Michael's go for a hurricane runner, which Shamrock counters into a power bomb for a good near fall. Michaels distracts Hedner again, so Helmsley and China beat down Shamrock before throwing him back inside, so Michaels can hit an elbow off the top. 
upbeat chin music, but Shamrock ducks the attempt and hits a belly-to-belly suplex. Shamrock locks on the ankle lock, which causes Helmsley and China to sprint into the ring to break it up for the DQ after the best part of 20 minutes of action. Um, We'll cover the uh, post-match angle in just a second, but before we get to that, come to you first, Craig. What were your thoughts on this match specifically? Uh, I I, I like the the concept of the match and I like the idea on paper of uh, a feud between these two. You can imagine sort of a shamrock hurling uh, Michael's around and Michael's helping make him look like uh, a big star. But for me, it just, it just didn't click. It, it just, I don't, I, don't, I don't know, it just seemed that they, they just didn't gel at, at all. Uh, and I went from actually being quite... Uh, Quite excited about this match, and it's worth noting that in less than what seven, eight months, uh, Shamrock's gone from joining the company to having a world title uh, fight in a main event. So fair play on that front. But yeah, it just yeah, it just didn't really work. Uh, it felt like something was missing. Maybe they, they maybe they didn't gel. Maybe the one was having an off day. But uh, what it promised on uh, on paper, it just didn't really deliver. And uh, another. Another DQ finish. Uh, yeah, there was far too many uh, of them. I, I do get protecting people, and I guess you don't want uh, someone to have their first title defence and lose, uh, title uh, challenge and lose, etc. But yeah, another uh, cheap DQ finish. Uh, so another uh, black mark for me against this match. Rory. Yeah, I think the main problem here is that nobody expected the title to change hands. Nobody really gave Shamrock a chance. This is an odd thing to say, considering Michaels is the world champion and the whole pay-per-view is named after his own stable. But I wasn't really watching this much for Michaels. I was watching it to see what Shamrock is capable of doing. And I rather suspect that the office were doing that as well. But this was almost a world title tryout match for him to see what he could go on and do in 1998. And I think, by and large, he came through. He's got his style down now, I think. He's got a really excellent moveset, this Shamrock, where he carries a lot of legitimacy with him as a UFC fighter, where he isn't actually hurting people, which poor old Vader he was back in May. And I think Michaels took his offence really well. He sold around, he bumped, made him look like a really legitimate contender in, as it must be said, a match where the finish was a bit of a foregone conclusion. One thing I do think Shamrock needs to work on is uh, I noticed a lot of the time during this match, he was calling spots very clearly and very loudly. So just, you know, tone it down a bit there, Ken. But yeah, I think he showed in the office what he's really capable of. The fact that he's now transitioning to an IC title feud with uh, with Rocky Maivia, I think that's good for the both of those two, give them a chance to really push themselves into the top echelon. Sean keeps the belt. I don't think having said all that, it would really hurt Shamrock if Michaels had won via nefarious means if you'd had China and Triple H come in they'd beat the hell out of Shamrock and he can't answer a three count or something like that it didn't need to be yet another DQ on an event which as Craig Riley says was already full of them but yeah Michaels was Michaels and we all know that Michaels just being Michaels is better than most guys on their best day Shamrock in my opinion really stepped up showcased what he's capable of in a match which sad to say didn't really mean anything yeah, I have mixed feelings on this match. There was some decent stuff here. Shamrock did impress me. Um, and, but I, I agree with Craig in that I don't think it clicked properly. Um, 
think it was through lack of trying. I don't know what it was. Maybe Rory, as you rightly say, no one expected the title to change and that does take something out of the match. But it felt slightly flat to me. Um, and to take the best part of 20 minutes on a pay-per-view main event and give us that finish, very flat. I mean, I agree with you. I, I think you could have had Sean cheating to win here in some way. Um, bit of it. That Helmsley and China interfered enough throughout the match that you could have easily got away with a bit of that interference costing Shamrock the match and Sean hitting the sweet chin music and getting a pin. Um, especially when you look at what is next for Shamrock in the immediate aftermath of this and transitioning into a, an intercontinental title feud against The Rock. The Rock took a pin on this, on this very show and then the next night on Raw was given the belt by by Austin. Just just given the belt. Um, I don't think it would have hurt Shamrock heading into that feud with The Rock to be pinned by Shawn Michaels after a three-on-one sort of beat down and all three people cheating and interfering and whatnot. I don't think that would have hurt Shamrock, and I think it would have been a better pay-per-view for it, and it would have less, left less of a sour taste in, in the mouth. Um, it was probably better than I expected to be, but... There was something missing. It didn't quite click for me. Um, DX continued to beat Shamrock down some more. They throw him out the ring. Helmsley and China follow him out there and beat down Shamrock on the outside while Michaels gets on the apron facing the announced tables to celebrate his victory. He's retaining off his championship. Out of nowhere, a man in a black hoodie charges Michaels from behind, sending him sprawling off the apron and through the Spanish announce table. The attacker dives on Michaels and unloads with some stiff punches and is revealed to be Owen Hart. Helmsley runs over to save Sean, but Owen escapes through the crowd. We see Sean laid out with a busted nose from the attack by Owen. Announced is still the WWF champion. He gets in the ring, poses with a belt, and the show goes off the air. Uh... Rory, I come to you first. What did you make of this post-match angle? We saw the return of Owen Hart and back to the company for the first time since the controversy in November. I can't think of a, a moment on on this show that gets quite as good a reaction as this. The, this is definitely the best pop of the night, although it's not exactly sort of much to, to crow about. But yeah, I, I thought they did this uh, did this very well. It should lead to something big now because uh, it makes sense that they try and capitalise on the Montreal screw job. They clearly are trying to, from uh, the Vince McMahon perspective, so to sort of try and turn this into another Michaels versus Hart match makes a lot of sense. Uh, this looked looked like a really vicious beating. I suspect that uh, Owen Hart potatoed. Uh, Michaels, and I'd be surprised if it wasn't intentional during this. Uh, but yeah. Uh, it looked good. Uh, it paid off well, and yeah, it was it was, uh, it was very well done. Rory, yeah, absolutely loved it. It happened so fast on screen. Owen's first attack. I had no idea it was him. Indeed, I barely had any idea what had happened. It was like this just blur tracing across my screen. And the next thing I know, Michael just crashed through the announce table. Then this guy just on top of him, pounding him, and the camera rolls round and it's Owen Hart. And then the crowd realise it as well, and they gasp, and then they pop big. They played this absolutely perfectly, Owen, as this renegade persona, somebody who's now going to take his opportunity to make Shawn Michaels' life a living hell, which he also talks about a bit later on in the month. 
I have my issues with how they play some of this up as we work throughout the, the rules, but in the here and now, it was a great way to close the pay-per-view. That's what you should be doing. You're ending one story, you're starting another one. You're starting your Owen Michaels run. And uh, I'd like to have been uh, in the back when they were discussing what they were doing for this event, how they're going to close the show. You've got Owen and Sean there, or Vince or whoever says, um, uh, so yes, what we're going to do, we're going to do this deal with Owen, you're going to punch Shawn Michaels in the face for 30 seconds. I'm sure he allowed himself a small little smile at that one. But yeah, fantastic. Brilliantly played. And Michael's getting a little bit of colour only added to it. Brilliant. I know this is maybe just Shawn Michaels being Shawn Michaels at this stage, but I thought this angle would have been so much better if the, if the closing shot of the pay-per-view was Owen Hart in the crowd getting up, recovering, and and having a little pose with his belt in the ring. <laughs> that really annoyed me. Like, I, like it just seemed to undermine the, the attack almost. And it's like, well, Owen's back, but don't forget, I'm still here. I'm still the champion. Like, Sean had to have his little moment. I know it's Sean being Sean, but from it for me, because the actual attack was brilliant, and then it kind of felt slightly undercut um, for me with, with what Michaels did afterwards. Yeah, I'd agree with that as well. Um, so, uh, with that, that brings a close to the In Your House Degeneration X pay-per-view. Uh, Craig, I'll come to you first on this one with your overall thoughts on the show and a score rating out of 10. <laughs> Thank you very much for clarifying it at 10. I don't know if you've listened to my recent uh, shambolic appearances on these podcasts. Uh, yeah, I, th- I thought this thought this was pretty poor. Uh, I thought it, it had a good match to start with. Uh, it really hit a, a low point by, I guess, probably the boot camp match. I mean, so the six-man tag and the tag title matches were the pits as well, but the, the boot camp match probably edges it as the worst because it was given so much time. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it finished nicely with uh, a nice fun Intercontinental title match, albeit uh, short, and then the, the return of Owen Hart. But out of 10, um, I'm struggling to give this half half marks even. I'm, I'm going to say a, a 4. I'm going to give this 4 out of 10. Rory, your thoughts on the show and a score out of 10? Yeah, in my preamble, I said it was just about the right side of OK. And I'm kind of wavering a little bit on that one, so go with me as we as we go along here. This was not a great show for matches by any stretch of the imagination. The opener and the closer were the best, and they were probably both around average if you really want to look at them closely. But we did get a lot of moments here. We got Shamrock showing he at least belows, belows, belongs in a main, <laughs> belongs in a main event setting. You've got Stone Cold Steve Austin popping the crowd as only Steve Austin can. You move on the Kane Undertaker story. And you get a potential money-making main event or maybe the February pay-per-view perhaps if they can stretch it out that long with Shawn Michaels and Owen Hart. So, maybe it's a bit of the seasonal cheer here, but I'm going to go a little higher than Craig. I'm going to go, for greater than some of its parts, 5 out of 10, but that's still a really quite low 5. You've always been a generous man, though. That's what they tell me. <laughs> no, this this show was mixed. It, it did have good moments, like you say. You're right to point them out. The, the Austin and the Rock match was, as a match, like, bang average but like the heat and the crowd reaction was off the charts and Austin's just a star and showing the opener was fine I enjoyed aspects of the tough man match although like we'll happily admit that it was garbage um but I did enjoy parts of it um 
the boot camp match was slow and boring. The, the, the Jarrett and Undertaker was a non-event, but the stuff with Kane afterwards was pretty good. The return of Owen was great. I think altogether this show just about sits bang in the middle for me with a five out of ten. So I agree with you, Rory. Um, but it, it it's a very low five. Like this was a poor show, really, when you add it all up. Um, there's very little action-wise on here to to be excited about. I wouldn't recommend a lot of it to many people. Um, but yeah, for me, a five out of ten, and uh, that will bring to a close our pay-per-view review. You got something to say? Let's see if I got this straight. With all the damn explosions going on back here, I thought you said you ordered Steve Austin to do something. Yeah. You, you shut up. You ought to understand right now, Stone Cold Steve Austin does what he wants when he wants. I don't give a rat's ass who you are, personally. I'll tell you who I am, all right? I'm the proud owner of the World Wrestling Federation. And furthermore, Mr. Austin, I'm your, I'm your boss. Look at the officials and agents surrounding the ring. That didn't impress me one bit. And frankly, I don't give a damn. This intelligently brought some backup out here. Well, then let me make it a little clearer for you, all right? And you just might give a damn about the consequences if you don't defend the Intercontinental Championship here tonight. Vince is standing up to him. What would those consequences be, punk? I don't want to have to get into that, all right? Well, let me tell you something. You talk about your consequences, all this and that, like you're some kind of big shot. Stone Cold's got his own consequences. Huh. If anybody wants to see Vince McMahon get his ass whipped, give me a hell yeah. In case you didn't hear him, they said all hell yeah. Something else I've been meaning to talk to you about. Your language. Damn it, Vince, you're right. I said your language. Hell, son, I'm trying to apologize. I'm trying to apologize. Jesus Christ, give me a chance. I'm telling you right now. Hold the damn microphone up. We ain't out here to talk about my language. What we're out here talking about is a set of consequences and me defending the Intercontinental Championship. I won the damn thing fair and square last night. I ain't going to give you an answer right now. You're worried about your precious little ratings, about Stone Cold being in your ring. I'm going to take my ass backstage. I'm going to pop a top on a beer. I'll probably eat me a hot dog or two. And while you sweat it out and think about your consequences, I'll come out later in the show and give you an answer. But I'm telling you this. If Stone Cold comes back out, somebody's going to get their ass whipped. It might be you, Jim Ross. It might be your precious little official in his striped shirt. And you can damn well bet your bottom dollar, son. It might be your sorry ass.
Vincent Mount starts us off on December the 8th. He says he can't deny the popularity of Stone Cold Steve Austin. But Austin went too far last night and endangered the lives of the WWF fans by driving his pickup truck into the arena and down to the ring to use as a weapon. After last night, Vince demands that Stone Cold defend his IC title against the, quote, People's Champion, The Rock, here tonight. Austin comes out and says Stone Cold Steve Austin doesn't take orders and does what he wants, when he wants. Vince says he's the owner of the WWF and Austin's boss. Austin says he doesn't give a damn. Vince threatens Austin with consequences if he doesn't defend the title tonight. Austin doesn't care about the consequences and asks the crowd if they want to see Vincent Mann get his ass kicked. Which gets a resounding hell yeah. Austin will come out later to show um, in the show to give Vince his answer and promises that when he does, someone will get their ass kicked. Kane interferes during a match in the Godwins and LOD after Hawk no sells a pile driver Kane hits a tombstone which keeps him down. Road Dog and Billy Gunn issue an open challenge to anyone to come and fight Billy in singles competition. Outcomes Dude Love, which Road Dog protests as he calls out one guy, not three. Dude Love picks up the win in a short but fun TV match with a double arm DDT. Road Dog storms the ring and lays out Dude with a brutal chair shot to the head. The Rock is backstage with the nation. He says it isn't about Austin 316, but Rocky 911. After trying to teach Taka Minchinyoku English, Jim Cornette gets interrupted by Jerry Lawler, who calls Taka an evil foreigner. We're introduced to Taka's opponent, El Unico, who Lawler berates too before it turns out it's Brian Christopher. Christopher and Lawler beat down Taka to end the segment. The interrogator is now called Kurgan. He disposes of Flash Fun, who gets disqualified for not releasing the hold. We see a video from last night. Ken Sherrock says he will enter the Royal Rumble to get his title shot at Michaels. DX come out with the promos to kick off hour number two. They have a card table set up in the ring. Helmsley ran down Sergeant Slaughter. Sean says Sherrock isn't quite dangerous enough to take down the Heartbreak Kid. And then everyone knows that DX has destroyed the entire Heart family once and for all. The Hart family were like a turd, but Owen was the nugget that couldn't be flushed. Sean says, until Owen comes out, DX is going to sit here and play strip poker. Seeing as Port Sean promised to walk out naked on TV. Sean removes his shirt after losing a hand before we go to commercial. After the break, we return to the DOA in the ring with a strip poker game moving to the outside. Los Barricos versus DOA is next. During the match, Sean loses both his shoes and socks. The match ends with Savio Vega hitting Skull with a 2x4 in the back of the knee and Miguel covering him for the pin. The poker game returns to the ring. Sean keeps on losing. The headbangers come out and flip the table over. They powerbomb Thrasher through the card table and then Owen comes out and takes down Michaels for escaping through the crowd. Jeff Jarrett and Vader is up next. As soon as the match gets started, down come Goldust and Luna Vachon. Goldust flashes Vader who leaves the ring and chases Goldust to the back, leaving Jarrett to win by default. Mark Merrow calls out Vincent Mann for booking him against who he actually called a jobber at the pay-per-view. He brings out his property, Sable, who takes off her robe and isn't wearing very much. Salvatore Sincere beats Merrow by count out as he takes Sable to the back. Vincent Mann comes out on to ensure Austin defends his intercontinental title, but Austin is dressed, isn't dressed to compete. Austin dares Vince to fire him and The Rock agrees. Austin says the only title he's interested in is the WWF title, so he's going to forfeit this one. He hands the title to Rock, who looks really happy until Austin stunners him. We end the show with Austin accidentally knocking Vince off the apron and saying it'll be Stone Cold TV with his Intercontinental title next week. 
We open up Raw on December the 15th with Michael Cole interviewing Undertaker in the ring. He announces Taker will face Shawn Michaels for the WWF title in a casket match at the Royal Rumble. Taker says Shawn knows that one-on-one he can't beat The Undertaker. He says that in his whole career he's only lost one casket match and it took ten men to put him in. D-Generation X doesn't have ten people. At the Royal Rumble, Shawn will rest in peace. Paul Bearer and Kane come out. Bearer says that everyone Kane was beating up was Undertaker's fault and that the beatings would continue unless Taker faced Kane in a match. Kane slapped Taker. He went to slap him again but Taker blocks it, shook his head and walked away. Takamichi Yoku defeated Jerry Lawler with a Michinoku driver. After the match, Brian Christopher gets involved but inadvertently hits Jerry. The Rock introduces himself as the people's champion of the best damn intercontinental champion of all time. He orders the gutless thief in the night, Steve Austin, to come out and return the IC title belt to him. Austin comes out without the belt, says no one orders Austin to do a damn thing. The Rock can go and find a monitor and watch to find out where his belt is. Austin leaves, but Rock had an hour to return the belt or the nation would search the building and give him a public beating. Fruit was vividly shot with the Rock throughout this segment. Dude Love is out to take on Billy Gunn, or Road Dog even. Billy Gunn has the mic during the entrance to join on commentary team for the match. JR refers to Dog and Gunn as the quote New Age Outlaws, but he says he likes that a lot. Midway through the match, Dude Love snapped and turned into Mankind. He quickly turned back into Dude and picks up the win with a double arm DDT. But he tried to attack him with a chair from behind, but the Dude cuts him off. They suplex Dude on the stage, then shove a referee into him and sending him flying through the table. Mark, he, Mark Henry makes his in-ring debut or his return. I lost track really against the Brooklyn Brawler. He wins a quick match with a bear hug. We open up the second hour with Owen Hart coming through the crowd for an interview with Vince McMahon. Owen says he doesn't owe Vince an apology and the bullshit stops right here. He spent nine years building a reputation in this company and no one is going to run him out of it. After Vince says this about getting the title, Owen says he couldn't give a damn about the title. It's just a piece of leather with a tin on it. And this is about real life. Owen says he, he cares about his reputation and his dignity. He's there to make Shawn Michaels' life a living hell. You can call him the sole survivor or the black sheep. He really doesn't give a shit. Vince calls for uniform security and they lead Owen off. Jim Ross announces that Dude Love has suffered broken ribs. Tom Brandy defeats the Soul Town with a surprise roll-up. Marrow blow blows him out of the match, but is annoyed at the crowd chance of Sable. The Nation come back out, and Rock said Austin's time was up, and he was too cowardly to show up. We suddenly caught on the Tron to Austin on a bridge with the Intercontinental title belt. Austin says that if the Rock is to find the belt, he'll need scuba equipment, a cell phone charger, and a pager. He throws each one into the water as he speaks. He says it hurts to do this, but he doesn't give a damn about the Rock or the WWF. He threw the belt over the bridge and into the water, and the Rock was outraged. We cut backstage to Vincent Mann so he can deliver some editorial comments with his quote, cure for the comment show. Vince says the key word in sports entertainment is entertainment and they are part of soap opera, part sitcom and part cartoon. Vince says the fans no longer want their intelligence insulted, they no longer want good guys and bad guys and no longer want a superhero who tells them to say their prayers. 
He says the WWF are embarking on an innovative and contemporary creative campaign, and due to the live nature of Raw and Warzone, he encourages some degree of parental discretion in regard to the younger audience, but the other WWF programming did not require the same warning. He says they are responsible TV producers who work hard to bring you the wacky world of the WWF. We get Steve Blackman making his Raw debut against Jose Estrada. Blackman wins with a squash match, with a quick squash with a German suplex. DX cut, back, uh, cut a backstage promo responding to Owen Hart's comments. Sean says he's not a hard man to find and welcomes Owen to get, come and get some. DX agree it should be China's turn to beat somebody up, but that wouldn't be fair to Owen. They make their way to the ring to take on the Legion of Doom in the main event. Billy Gunn runs down to ringside and distracts Hawk on the outside, allowing Road Dodge jumping from behind with a chloroform soaked rag. China interferes with a low blow for the DQ. The New Age Outlaws throw Hawk into the ring and shave one of Hawk's mohawks. It's really entertained DX. The Outlaws and DX then went to take care of Animal and hit with a quadruple powerbomb off of the apron and through the announce table. Billy Gunn then hit Hawk with a top rope leg drop to add insult to injury. Sean follows suit with a top rope elbow drop. He looks pleased with the Outlaws as the show goes off the air. And who do you think you are? Who do I think I am? Who the hell do you think you are? You won't think I owe you a apology. I don't owe you a thing. I'm sick and tired of trying to please everybody else around here. And the stops right here. Wow. Well, I'm showing McMahon plenty of respect. This could get very, very ugly in a hurry. Now, my brother, Brett, and Neidhart, and Bulldog, they did what they had to do. And now it's time for me to do what I have to do. And that is remain right here in the World Wrestling Federation. I spent nine years breaking my back day after day to earn a reputation in this company. And nobody, and I mean nobody, is going to run me out of this company. And you know exactly who I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. I have a real good idea who you're talking about. You're talking about self-professed showstopper, right? You're talking about the icon. You're talking about the WWF champion, Shawn Michaels. And isn't that really what it's all about, Owen? Huh? You know what this whole thing's all about? You attempting to gain the only title that's eluded you in your career here? It's all about the WWF title, isn't it? How stupid are you? Is that what you think this is about? You think I give a damn about a worthless title? A piece of leather with tin on it? This is real life, Vince. This is real life. My life. My reputation. My respect. My dignity. And McMahon, don't you get me wrong. I'm not asking you. I am telling you exactly what I am going to do. And that is... And that is make Shawn Michaels' life a living hell. A lot of that going around.
around these days. I, I know what well, you let mean. Let me tell you. Well, you listen to me for a second. You can call me the sole survivor. You can call me the black sheep. I really don't give a s***. Uh-oh. Not good. Obviously, but Shawn Michaels! This is not a game. This is real life. And you started it. And now it's time for this little nugget to end it. So with that, we move on to discussion on a few of the bigger talking points from WWF TV for the month of December. Um, we'll start with one of the bigger topics and the angle that they ran at the end of the pay-per-view. Rory, first topic, I'll come to you first. Uh, Owen Hart, the return of Owen Hart. What did you make of his promo on the 15th of December edition of Raw? And how do you think the WWF have handled his return to the company? I thought his promo was great. It was exactly the character he needed to be. Vince McMahon saying that, yes, I know that Owen Hart is here. Come out and say your piece. And Owen comes out through the crowd, which is brilliant, make him look like he's not necessarily an official member of the roster. Great little touch. He's there. He looks like a, I'm going to use this word, an outsider. He's not Owen Hart dressed in his pink and black, holding his slammy, wearing his uh, his pink jacket with Owen on the back. No, he's just Owen Hart. He's unkempt. He's, he hasn't shaved for a couple of weeks, wearing a hoodie, and he just looks like somebody who means business, and that business is the form of Shawn Michaels. It was a great promo. Even, I wouldn't normally like this bit when he said, I don't care about the title. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'm with you on this one, Owen, because this is real, isn't it? This goes beyond titles and championships. You want revenge for what that arsehole Shawn Michaels has done. And with Owen, I've I got fire, i got passion, i got rage. I know we're not comparing it to very much here, but I think it's the best promo Owen Hart has ever cut. He did cut a good one in the mock-up of the steel cage on Brett just before their match at SummerSlam 94. But uh, this blew that and everything else out of the water. And this is the face that Owen Hart needs to be going forward. Mm-hmm. You know, it would not have surprised me in the slightest that Vince had punished him for sticking around by bringing back his green baggy dungarees and you know, maybe bringing out Coca Beware to reform high <laughs> energy. But uh, thankfully that didn't happen. However, on the downside of things, I think they rushed the Owen Sean title match on the last Raw of the month. That, as I said in the pay-per-view review, that is something you build up to. You can tell the story there over a couple of months very naturally. All the all the building blocks are already there. You can lay them how you want to. Whether Owen goes, if, if, even if you do that, does Owen go on to win the title? That's another question. But I would not have done the match on free TV. And I would not have ended it yet again with Helmsley Fearance, which I'm already getting very sick of. But yes, Owen Hart going forward, he's going to stick around. This is the character he needs to play. And He's playing it brilliantly because it's real. I mean, I I agree uh, with all your high praise of the promo and Owen's new look and everything like that. I thought he looked good coming out, positive coming through the crowd, confronting Vince McMahon in the ring. Um, Dave Meltz had a little line in The Observer, one of the observers this month, and he was saying about how backstage people were laughing that Owen swore more in this promo with Vince on the 15th than he does backstage. Um, He said he wanted to make Sean's life a living hell. Vince sort of squared up to Owen and matched him. And uh, the segment kind of ended on on a bad note for me. Owen sort of... He grabbed Vince by the collar and eventually just relented and backed down, left with the cops. And the next time we see Owen, 
his demands. He's just wearing his gear, coming through the off, uh, coming through the uh, down the ramp like everyone else. Um, and like you say, I feel like they rushed that Owen Hart Shawn Michaels match, and it felt to me, Craig, I'll come come to you. Um, do you think they've really got the most out of him? Like they seem to have rushed through a lot very quickly. And really, the match to build to for the Royal Rumble should have been Shawn Michaels versus Owen Hart for the title instead of The Undertaker, shouldn't it? Uh, yeah, no, I, I'd absolutely agree with that. Uh, with the way the, he, he returned and then and then the promo, it, it really seemed like they'd given him a, a shot of attitude. It, it's a sort of edgy Owen Hart, which is in, entirely uh, the type of character, as Rory alluded to, that that, is, that works and well, that's going to work in the in the new WWF, if you will. But, yeah, I, I, I really can't fathom why they've so quickly went to him having a, a title shot at the end of the month. It, it, if this if this plays had been played out longer, they could have used, uh, thrown up the whole Bret Hart, Montreal screw job, really sort of sold it on that. Whether or not I'd have been comfortable for Owen is another thing, but they could have really done a whole lot with this really sort of made this seem like a, a feud based on on a guy that really just hates another guy. Like like Rory mentioned that normally if someone said I don't care about the title you'd sort of cringe a little bit but this you're like, of course you don't. It's about it's about your family and stuff. Yeah, so it it, it really worked in that respect. But yeah, I, I, this could have been a slow build, really made some big money. And you're right. Uh, it, it could have been the, the the match at the Royal Rumble, even because it's quite a, and I know we'll we'll come to it. It's quite a throwaway way that they decided it was going to be the Undertaker uh, battling Michaels. Is Undertaker goes from random matches on pay per views to other random matches on pay per views. But yeah, they, they they could have built this up. This could have been this 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 has a main event feel to it, especially with the the background story uh, and, and what's going on. But yeah, they, they've they've rushed it, and I, I can't quite fathom why. Rory, before we move on to our second topic for the month, um, did is one of the things holding back Owen Hart with Vince, as you say, Owen's delivery was excellent, Owen's look was excellent, he went face-to-face with Vince McMahon on the microphone in the, in the middle of the ring, and then by the end of the month, everyone else wearing his gear and the title match with Sean was gone. Is Stone Cold Steve Austin and that anti-hero, anti-authority type figure, because we've already seen the, the, the roar the week before this promo from Owen Hart, we had the big promo between Austin and Vince McMahon and Austin telling him he doesn't give a damn what he thinks and all that. And Austin was that anti-authority. Owen's character was kind of... Austin's filling that space already. And maybe that's one of the reasons that they didn't quite get the most out of Owen here. And they sort of ran through a lot of what they could do by the end of the month and weren't planning on building it to the Rumble because we know that Austin, if he's healthy enough, will feature higher in their plans for 1998 than Owen Hart will. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, you can't really have Owen Hart being austin like because people aren't going to pay any attention to that. They're just going to want the full fat version when they know it's right there in front of their face every week. They're not going to want a pale imitation. If you just... See, this is why it's such a bad decision to have Owen Sean so early. 
if you just have Owen concentrate his concentrate his attention on Sean, Sean, Sean only, maybe extended to the rest of the X, but primarily solely Michaels, then you keep him away from everything else. And I'll go back to what you said uh, just now, Chris. I think you're absolutely correct. Don't have him squaring up with Vince McMahon. Steve Austin does that. He does that better than anybody else ever could. Don't have him playing that same character. Just have him being hell-bent on getting to Michaels. Have the Owen anti-authority thing almost as a tertiary event of what's happening. Steve Austin is because he doesn't care about anybody else. Owen is because he only cares about Michaels. If they played that up, then it would have worked. But as it is, as you say, with him being somebody who's being led off by security and all that, it just comes across as something we've already seen done better by Austin three months ago. And I just, I totally agree with what you guys have said. They should have held off Owen Sean for the Royal Rumble. And maybe if they do do it at the February pay-per-view, like I've said, okay, but maybe then the magic will already have gone. We don't need to see Sean Undertaker again. They're not going to be able to cap bad blood. Nobody can. Sean Owen is right there for them. And uh, I fear they've already blown it, which is a huge shame. Where would Owen even go now, you know? That's the thing. And I decided, Vince, that I ain't going to wrestle because I done whipped his no. ass once. I will not do it tonight. You keep talking about your little consequences, so I want to know what you're prepared to do. What are you going to do? Are you going to fire me? Vince, The Rock thinks you should fire him. Stay out of this. You stay out of this. Vince made the PJ listen mode before this is all over with. I'm not, I'm not gonna fire you. What I'm gonna do, Steve Austin, you're forcing me to strip you of that intercontinental title right now. You're forcing me to strip you of it and give it to The Rock. Whoa! Not popular. Maybe not a healthy decision. If you think for one split second that you can strip this title from Stone Cold Steve Austin, take it from my hands right now and I'll knock your damn teeth out. I don't think they're real anyway, but I don't I don't think McMahon would like to lose them. What I will do, Vince, because I done been the Intercontinental Champion, I done been the Tag Team Champions, hell son, there ain't but one belt in the Federation that I'm interested in, and that's the World Wrestling Federation Championship belt. Hear that, Shawn Michaels? So what I'm going to do, Rock, is I'm going to forfeit the damn title to you tonight. What? Because I got bigger fish to fry. So go ahead and take the damn thing because I don't want it no more. Rocky's somewhat apprehensive. Take it. Huh? Take it. Apparently, take it. Apparently the rock is a new... Ladies and gentlemen. Shut up. Shake my hand, champ. Trust me. Oh, yeah. Trust me, champ. This is only up and up. You Trust can... the snake. Congratulations. Ladies and gentlemen, the new intercontinental champion. The rock. Now, this is a shocker. Lion, second time the rock has been intercontinental. Whoa! Austin Stone Cold! DTA, Rock, don't trust anybody. There's your little intercontinental champion laying right there on his ass. So that lends itself quite nicely into transitioning to one of the other big talking points from the month, which is Stone Cold Steve Austin and the December he had. Uh, he won his match at the pay per view, left with his intercontinental title. Um, but he forfeited the belt next night after that showdown with Vince McMahon on the 8th of December. Uh, it's speculated that this is because they want to get the IC belt out of the picture, so he's free to win the Rumble, going to face Michaels at WrestleMania. 
that's not taken into account any of the concern around his ongoing neck issues. And as you said, his last two matches, the four minutes against Hart and the five minutes against The Rock, um, they're not necessarily... There's not enough there for him to be the champion at this stage. Uh, so two topics, really. Firstly, uh, we'll jump back a week to the uh, promo that he cut on the 8th of Dece- December against Vince McMahon and that anti-establishment babyface. Um, how did you feel about that promo, uh, Craig? Uh, do, and uh, what, what do you feel about Austin versus McMahon as Vince transitions more into this Hill owner and a dictator of the WWF? Mm-hmm. And have such lofty plans for Austin in 1998 when there's so much concern about his neck to the degree he can't work a match in December 97. Uh, yeah, uh, I'll, I'm going to tackle them in reverse order, which doesn't bode well because my memory's pretty terrible. Uh, the, the the latter point, I do think it is a big risk because you've got uh, if the fans to win Royal Rumble, literally anything could go wrong in that match. You've got a bunch of guys all battling it out he could take a he could take a serious knock, uh, and we'd have to call the a new winner on the spot during the during the show. Uh, yeah, I, I I question the the wisdom of uh, putting all the eggs in the uh, stone cold basket. Albeit, it's it's very difficult not to know the quality of uh, of Austin. But yeah, a, a Royal Rumble is sort of perhaps a pretty dangerous environment, and yeah, it would. It, it, it doesn't seem wise, although you would also imagine that any decision they've made is based on some sort of strong recommendations from from uh, the WF medical team. But yeah, it, it, it does seem risky. Although you'd imagine they would have a a, a plan B. I am uh, I'm very curious about the, the sort of uh, McMahon Austin feud. Uh, I think I think it's a bit different. Uh, to, to, to what goes on before, you don't usually have this sort of uh, owner uh, being a sort of evil uh, heel uh, dictator. So it's it's, it's fresh. Uh, the McMahon character is clearly edgy. There's clearly a lot of heat on him after the uh, the Montreal screw job. And let's face it, right now he is probably the, the company's top heel. So why not have him in a program as a top babyface? Because on the face of it, that just screams money. Uh, so yeah, so uh, it does make a lot of sense. Although uh, issues still sort of uh, hang over uh, the sort of prospects of uh, Stone Cold with his uh, with his neck issues. Rory, uh, same two questions to you, really. Yeah, um, let's get the negative out of the way first. By all accounts, it sounds like Austin didn't actually want to job to Rocky at the Generation X. So they came up with the finish they came up with and him handing over the belt the next day. We rightly criticise other people, and we have done on these shows throughout 1997 for not doing business. And I don't think that even Mr. Steve Austin, for all his other attributes, should be exempt from any criticism on that one. So I just want to put that on the record. However, getting the position they got themselves into, they got themselves out of it extremely well. Austin handing over the belt because he thinks the WWF title is more important makes perfect sense. When you consider, as bizarre as it sounds, his anti-authority stance. But what better way of sticking it to authority, to the WWF, to Vince McMahon, 
than becoming their world champion. You can't really do that as IC champion, WWF champion, you can. You're the poster boy, whether they like it or not, and they have to dance to your tune. Or at least that's how Stone Cold Steve Austin's character would perceive it. So that was really, really nice. And um, stealing the belt immediately after handing it over to Rocky and the next week where he threw the belt in the river was just brilliant. It's this, I talk about it on the year review show, which you can also hear this month, uh, year awards show, that Austin can do so much verbally and it doesn't even seem like he's breaking sweat. I don't feel like he's playing a character. He's just himself with the volume turned up. So when he says something like, oh, here's an oxygen tank for you to go and get the belt, I don't know if there's, if there's any oxygen in it, but there the damn thing is. He just slings it in the river. Now, you can't help but chuckle. He's, he's funny without trying to be Mr. Mr. Chuckles. He's serious without trying to be Mr. Angry. He's just world-class at everything he turns his, uh, he turns his hand to. Which brings me to the most important thing of all again, though. Steve Austin in the ring after neck injury in December 1997 is not the Steve Austin who could tear it up on the mat with Ricky Steamboat in August 1994. The style he seems to be employing, which we talked about in the pay-per-view review, is punch, punch, kick, kick, stunner. It's over. It's The crowd love it. I love it. But it's not going to get you through WWF main events. They're not going to be able to be four or five minutes. You won't be able to get away with it. Once in a while, you can. But if he's going to be champion for a considerable amount of time after WrestleMania, which is how they think that, which is how I think they should go, he should be champ for most of the rest of the year, in my opinion. Then he's going to need to be fully fit. I mean, I was reading in the uh, in the Observer, I was looking back through them earlier today. He's got another meeting with another specialist about his neck in the first week in January. This is still a real ongoing problem. And they can't keep cutting corners. They're going to have to come to a decision. Look, is your neck 100% to go in the ring or are we going to have to do something else? I really, really hope it's the former because he has to be the world champion. There's just no argument to it other than his health. And they've got to ensure they are 100% confident that he can go in the ring to carry it as world champion because he has got everything else and he needs to be the champ. Two final points on Austin. One of them is going to require me to go off on a bit of a tangent here, and then either of you can comment on anything I've got to say, really. one, The first one, which is quite straightforward, in that in his present condition, with how, as you rightly say, Rory, world-class is a, is a perfect description he is on the microphone or backstage in a little skit. His delivery feels natural, whether it's comedic or... Um, he's such a relatable character and it doesn't at all feel contrived with Austin. Because of his current condition with his neck and the ongoing problems, Vince McMahon is that perfect foil in that Vince McMahon isn't going to get in the ring and tear it up either. Vince McMahon is the perfect verbal foil and the verbal counter to a Stone Cold Steve Austin that, that can't do it anymore, or at least in the present time can't do it like he could have done a, a short few months ago. Um, the second point I have to make, which is slightly more on a, of a tangent, the way the WWF have positioned themselves with anti-hero Austin 
baby as a baby face against dictator, evil, conniving Vince McMahon. It feels to me the the right way to do things in that when you compare and contrast that with the way WCW have positioned themselves the last couple of years since the beginning of the NWO angle and specifically when since uh, Bischoff has joined the NWO, you've got the cool guys on the shows are the heels. WCW, the, the cool guys that, that everyone wants to be or l- l- likes, or it's the heels. And Bischoff has positioned himself within that company, within his own storylines, as one of the cool guys who struts around when really he's an executive in a suit man in his own WWF has got this the right way around in that Austin is the good guy and the one the crowd is supposed to cheer for, while Vince McMahon in the suit is the conniving evil smarmy guy that no one's going to cheer for. It could be big for the WWF in 98, but it does worry me. He's got a specialist in January, like you say, Rory. The Rumble's in January. Is he going to be able to go? And if he even can get through January, Mania's months off, and you've got to get through that match with Michaels. And that's only the beginning, even when you get to that stage. Then you're the champion. Then you're main eventing the pay-per-view with that belt every month. Where do you go from there? If he doesn't improve, doesn't improve, it's got to be a big worry for the future. I'm... Um, yeah, sorry, go on, Rory. Yeah, so yeah, I'm concerned. I must be say, it, must, it must be said... Uh, and I would imagine, I mean, he's obviously going to win the Rumble if he's fit, but he's going to get a low number and win. We all know that's going to happen. But again, we're all going to know, those of us who are aware of what's going on, that he's going to get a number in the 20s or maybe even number 30 itself because he's going to have to work the least amount of time. And sooner or later, people are going to start cottoning on to this. And God, they've got to be so careful. But yes, you made an excellent point there, Chris. Really, really good point that Eric Bischoff and Vince McMahon are opposite characters playing the same role. And I think that's really fascinating and who that actually makes the good guy and the bad guy as their foils in their respective companies. Uh, Austin is popular for not towing the line because he's supposed to be popular for not towing the line. And the NWA, NWA, the NWO, just too cool for school. They hate everybody, but everybody doesn't hate them. It's, it's really fascinating as where the business has come and it, I know we're going to talk about again very shortly the blurring of the lines between good guys and bad guys. That uh, it really is fascinating now that it's not so cut and dried, and that can only be good for the business, I think. Craig, uh, any more on Austin before we move on to our next topic? Or uh, no, not, nothing much that we've, that we've, uh, we've not really covered. Your, your point about the sort of verbal. Uh, foil, uh, McMahon being a great verbal foil for Austin holds a lot of weight but I mean you can't, we can't do sort of programs uh, promo programs forever but yeah interesting to see what, what the assessment is of his neck and how the rumble goes but like Rory said earlier on he definitely should be a WWF champion it just all comes down to the fitness of his neck um, right, so the next thing for us to talk about is certainly on a much lesser scale than either Owen Hart or Stan Cotton Steve Austin, but in a way no, noteworthy. Uh, Rory, what have you made of the artist formerly known as Goldust and his segments airing with, with Luna throughout the month of December? 
Um, well, they've been pretty appalling. They have indeed been pretty appalling. Uh, there's edgy and there's downright disgusting. And this is very much the latter, I'm afraid. Who ever bought a ticket for a wrestling show to see somebody, to pick one of his many, let's say, outfits, or do he, red, uh, I can barely even describe it, a red dyed hair, green bodysuit, dog collar, ball in his mouth, being carried by a chain, with a heavy implication that he and his new main squeeze into a bit of the old, the S&EM. Not going to get me front row and centre. You know, that's the sort of thing you expect to see at certain other shows in certain other parts of town, let's say. Oh, it's well, not one of these. <laughs> so I'm told. Um, it is not, this is absolutely not where the, where the business should be going. Characters reflecting real life, all well and good. Seeing tubby Dustin Rhodes pretending to be a dog, all very not well and all very, very bad. And it's gone on every single week. I'm reading Dr. Zeus and a, a Christmas story. He's done up as a Christmas tree. And now he's a freaking New Year's Eve baby or, oh, my God. Just Either somebody has really got it in for him backstage or he has got one wild and wacky imagination that he has been allowed to run all very wild with. But, yes, it's... Horrible television, and nobody wants to see this, I hope. If there is one thing that the character of Stone Cold Steve Austin needs to avoid, it's more segments with gold dust, like we got towards the end of the month on Raw. Um, that was of the month on TV. Craig, when Vince delivers editorial comments and his cure for the common show, and he talks about going into uh, 1998 with a and contemporary creative campaign is is gold dust and, and more of this is that what he means is that what we've got to look forward to <laughs> uh, you would hope not <laughs> yeah I, it's difficult to again to add much more than what, what Rory said but yeah that, for me the, the whole the whole gold dust stuff isn't funny it isn't entertaining and it wouldn't make me uh, buy tickets now don't get me wrong I, I know that there's a place for everything on the card. Lower guys need to have something. The middle guys need to have something. And the main event guys are the reason to buy tickets. But I just, I just really just can't work this out. I, I don't know. I don't know why it's being done. Like I, I literally don't see anyone being like, oh, I need to go to this show because this Goldust character is entertaining. Because you're like, well, is it entertaining? Uh, yeah, it, 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 it does nothing for me. Uh, and I very much hope this isn't the sort of content that, that we can come to expect. I, I suspect it's not. Uh, I do wonder who came up with the idea if this is sort of just gold dust trying to refresh. Uh, sorry, Ronald's trying to uh, refresh the, the the gimmick. But yeah, it, it, it's not really working. It's not getting any sort of a, a crowd reaction. It's not quite a, a derision yet, but it, it, it can't be that that far away and. Yeah, I, I hope that uh, the end is nigh for, for this, because I think Goldust can be entertaining. I'm not intrinsically against the pairing of Luna Vachon, because she kind of does that sort of weird gimmick, I think. I think there's a, other ways of, of doing this without whatever this is, essentially. I think I think it can be done better uh, and not like this, and I, my hope for 1998 is that that happens. 
excuse me, that that happens. It has been said that anything can happen here in the World Wrestling Federation, but now more than ever, truer words have never been spoken. This is a conscious effort on our part to open the creative envelope, so to speak, in order to entertain you in a more contemporary manner. Even though we call ourselves sports entertainment because of the athleticism involved, the key word in that phrase is entertainment. The WWF extends far beyond the strict confines of sports presentation into the wide-open environment of broad-based entertainment. We borrow from such program niches like soap operas, like the Days of Our Lives, or music videos such as those on MTV, daytime talk shows like Jerry Springer and others, cartoons like the King of the Hill on Fox, sitcoms like Seinfeld, and other widely accepted forms of television entertainment. We in the WWF think that you, the audience, are, quite frankly, tired of having your intelligence insulted. We also think that you're tired of the same old simplistic theory of good guys versus bad guys. Surely the era of the superhero who urged you to say your prayers and take your vitamins is definitely passe. Therefore, we've embarked upon a far more innovative and contemporary creative campaign that is far more invigorating and extemporaneous than ever before. However, due to the live nature of Raw and the war zone, we encourage some degree of parental discretion as it relates to the younger audience allowed to stay up late. Other WWF programs on USA, such as Saturday Morning Livewire and Sunday Morning Superstars, where there's a 40% increase in the younger audience, obviously, however, need no such discretion. We are responsible television producers who work hard to bring you this outrageous, wacky, wonderful world known as the WWF. Through some 50 years, the World Wrestling Federation has been an entertainment mainstay here in North America and all over the world. One of the reasons for that longevity is as the times have changed, so have we. I'm happy to say that this new vibrant creative direction has resulted in a huge increase in television viewership, for which we thank USA Network and TSN for allowing us to have the creative freedom. But most especially, we would like to thank you for watching. We open Raw on December the 22nd with DX coming out for a promo wearing bathrobes and snowflakes fall from the ceiling. Triple H tells the New Age Outlaws they would not take credit for taking out the Road Warriors and if they know what's best for them, they would stay out of DX's business. He calls Owen Hart a baby and says he had a pacifier for him to suck on. Sean takes the mic and moves on to The Undertaker. Taker fails to beat him twice and will fail again at the Royal Rumble. He does not rest in peace and you can ask any of his ladies because he can stay up all night. Michael says the X is a present for the fans and he is the X just stripped down to their thongs. This brings out Short Sergeant Slaughter. Sean says he and Hunter should put their robes on and not drop the soap. As he hasn't defended the European title, Slaughter says Sean must defend it tonight or be stripped of it. He then says he doesn't give belts away for anyone, which is pretty funny. Short sort of then makes it Sean versus Hunter in the TV main event tonight. Phineas runs in for the DQ in a match between Henry and Thrasher and all four men brawl afterwards. Mankind cuts a promo backstage. He says that it was interesting that when you break dude loves ribs, he hurts too. He promised to give the Outlaws a beating tonight and we see footage from last week with Austin stunnering Santa. We get The Rock, accompanied by the nature of domination, out to take on The Undertaker. The Undertaker hits a big boot and a leg drop for a two. When Paul Bearer comes out, this distraction allows Khan to hit Taker with a low blow. He hits a chokeslam and a tombstone, but the lights go out when he goes for the pin and here comes Kane. Taker chokes Kane, but stops short of slamming him and Kane beats him down. 
We kick off our number two with Sean against Hunter, but Owen comes out and attacks Helmsley. Sergeant Slaughter breaks it up, but Michaels and China accuse him of being in on it. Slaughter's reaction suggests he may well have been. Backstage, New Age Outlaws beat up someone they wrongly believe to be mankind. Mark Marrow defeats Scott Taylor with a TKO. More antics with Sable, this time dressed as a reindeer. Tom Brandy comes out to beat up Marrow as Sable takes off her costume to reveal Santa's little help for outfit and wishes everyone a Merry Christmas. Kurgan defeats 8-Ball in a horrid two-minute match from the Commission and DOA brawl afterwards. Ken Sharrock and D'Lo defeats D'Lo quickly. Afterwards, The Rock says Sharrock is the king of the USC, but the USC is full of has-beens. The Rock says his Christmas present to Sharrock is an intercontinental title match against him at the Royal Rumble. We cut back to the New Age Outlaws hunting for mankind in the basement of the arena again. This time they find him, he jumps them with a trash can lid. He beats them up for a while singing Christmas carols, but eventually they overwhelm him and lock him in a freezer. The artist formerly known as Goldust comes out dressed as a Christmas tree. He begins to read Twas the Night Before Christmas until Santa Claus interrupts, laying out Goldust before revealing he's Vader. Time for the main event, which is Shawn Michaels defending the coveted European title against Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Both men stalled to open, taking it in turns to get advice from China. When they finally lock up, Shawn takes a dramatic bump on the map. Helmsley does the most over-the-top rope running forever before hitting the gentlest, slowest-motion splash to win in just over a minute. Cornette calls it a ruse, a ploy, a plot, a plan, a charade, a conspiracy, a sham. We've been conned, hoodwinked, bamboozled, flim-flammed and had the walls pull over our eyes. China consoles Sean, who's failing despondence. Speaking through fake tears, he says it wasn't easy being defeated for the European title. Sean says this has been more emotionally and physically drained than any other ladder or cage match he'd ever been in. Hunter cuts a teary promo about how, aside from his kid being born, which he doesn't have, this one was the greatest moment in his life. Commissioner Slaughter comes out on the stage and tells the camera, at least, that next week Triple H will be defending his European title against Owen Hart. We open up December the 29th with Goldust dressed as Baby New Year, baby diaper and bonnet and all. Goldust knew for a fact that Tuss's SOB was actually himself and he'll prove it here tonight. He has a present for Austin, a black sequin thong. Austin storms down to the ring. He promised the language violence and the fingers will continue in 1998. He says he won't wrestle Goldust as he's such a big piece of crap but he does have a present for him. Something, it's like a TARDIS, slowly begins lowering itself from the ceiling. The item was actually way off course, so Austin had to pull on a rope and guide it into the ring for a piece of the, a member of the crew had to kind of unhook it. They take off this kind of sheet and it reveals to be a big porta potty with a crapper 316 on the door. Austin basically attacks Goldust, throws him inside. He goes to, Goldust goes to escape, he gets hit with a stunner and then gets thrown back inside and Austin tips it over. After the announcers casually announced that Crush has left the company, the DOA defeat Los Barricos in a six-man tag as Savio accidentally kicks Jose. A huge wooden crate on the stage and the announcers tease what's inside it and say we'll find out later. Triple H comes out and says he can't defend his title tonight. Undertaker's music hits and a casket covered in DX graffiti gets wheeled to the ring. Shawn Michaels pops out and introduces the newest two members of DX, China's new boobs. Hunter says they should be renamed Double D Generation X. Sergeant Slaughter comes out and says that if Hunter can't defend his title tonight, then Sean would have defended it, would have to defend his against Owen. We saw the DOA flash funk the headbangers and Scott Taylor conspiring backstage to take out Kane together. Ken Sharrock submits karma after the failed DLO interference. 
The Rock stops Dino and Farouk attacking Sharrock afterwards and says Farouk will face Sharrock next week. Something Farouk isn't too pleased with. Vincent Mann delivers a personal message from an empty arena early in the day. He thanked the fans for wonderful moments they shared in 1997 and promised that 1998 will be the most enjoyable year ever. He wished the fans a happy new year. Jerry Lawler and Brian Christopher are out to take on Takamichi Noku and a mystery partner who was revealed to be George the Animal Steel. Taka had Christopher beat with a moonsault but Steel was distracted, was in the ring distracting the ref which allowed Lawler to hit Taka with a foreign object. Lawler teased the moonsault of his own but the animal ran in and hit Christopher with a foreign object which led to a four man brawl and the ref calling for the bell. Lawler and Christopher bailed as the animal chased the ref away. The New Age Outlaws came out to kick off at the second hour. They were wearing New York Rangers jerseys in the arena that New York Islanders play in. Dude Love appeared on the screen to interrupt. He said he had broken ribs and a broken heart but went 0-3 against the Outlaws, so he was stepping down to let someone else fight them. He morphed into Mankind. Mankind says Mrs. Foley's baby boy was home as he morphed into Cactus Jack. Jack said it wouldn't be two on one anymore, uh, anymore because Chainsaw Charlie was here. Cactus Jack came down to the ring carrying a barbed wire back to face Road Dog. Jack won by DQ after interference from Billy Gunn. They got the ramp and brought by the wooden crate only for someone to cut their eye out with a chainsaw. You'd know him better as Terry Funk. Sable comes out and plugs the new WWF magazine before she can disrobe Mark Merrow comes out. Kevin Kelly tells Merrow to calm down but Merrow low blows him. Tom Brandy comes out but Merrow deals with him too. The DOA, the headbangers, Flash Funk and Scott Taylor come out to confront Kane. Undertaker comes out and he and Kane team up and clean house. Taker says to the camera he would burn in hell before facing his brother. While being interviewed backstage, New Age Outlaws are cut off by a chainsaw coming through the door. The Outlaws flee and Charlie and Cactus Jack come through. Jim Cornette delivers a commentary on the state of professional wrestling. He says he hates the WCW, the NWO, ECW and even the WWF. He berated Raw for having a guy come out dressed as a Christmas tree and a woman dressed as a reindeer and DX having a phony match for the championship. He says nobody has respect for wrestling anymore and there was no more wrestling on these wrestling shows. Wrestling fans watching a wrestling program want to see wrestlers wrestle. If nobody else wants going to bring tradition, traditional wrestling to the company, maybe it was up to him to do it. Jim Ross is about to make an announcement concerning the WWF and Mike Tyson. Sonny comes out to plug a cover edition of the Raw magazine. JR then announced the company was negotiating with Mike Tyson to appear at WrestleMania 14 in Boston. Owen Hart is out for the first post-Montreal... Uh, First match post-Montreal to face Shawn Michaels for the WWF title. I'll have the referees this one as Owen jumps Shawn on the floor during his entrance. Owen hits a spinning heel kick for a two, a belly to belly for another two, but missed a corner charge. Owen ducks a sweet gym music and hits the ends of Yuri. JR was awesome on commentary during the sequence and made you really feel like we were about to see a title change. Owen followed up by locking in the sharpshooter, but Hunter broke it up with his crutch for the DQ. Sean Hunter beat Owen down as the show goes off the air for 1997. Well, the WWF has asked me to do a commentary on the state of wrestling in 1998. I guess they figure Cornette's always good for a couple of laughs. Well, I'm not really going to be too funny tonight. Because, you see, I think the state of wrestling in 1998 stinks. I think WCW stinks. I think the NWO stinks. I think ECW is embarrassing. And I think the WWF stinks. 
And I'll tell you why, you don't have to go back any further than last week on Raw. You got a guy coming out dressed like a Christmas tree. You got a woman coming out dressed like a reindeer. You got two adolescent mullet heads showing their butt cheeks on national TV and having a phony match for a championship. I think it stinks. I think it's disgusting. I think nobody has any respect for wrestling anymore. Where is wrestling? Not sports entertainment, but wrestling. You know, just a couple of years ago, I left my home in Tennessee and I moved to Connecticut, which is like trading a Hawaiian vacation for a bed in a cancer ward, to come to work for the WWF full-time, the biggest wrestling promotion in the history of the planet. And I moved to Connecticut with snow on the ground seven months out of the year, real estate prices that would make Donald Trump's hair stand on end, the rudest bunch of people I've ever seen where English is a second language and traffic jams at four o'clock in the morning, but I think that's okay because I'm with the biggest wrestling promotion of all time, the WWF. But over the last couple of years, I don't see any wrestling. They got some great wrestlers around here, but they don't have any time to wrestle because of all the fall to roll and the nonsense going on. You see what the problem is, is the people running the two big promotions. One guy is a game show host wannabe from Minneapolis with phony teeth, phony hair, and a phony tan. And running the WWF, you got a whole office building full of Yankees from New York City that wouldn't know a wrestling match if it bit them. So they sit around all day listening to people on the Internet, and the people on the Internet wouldn't know a wrist lock from a wrist watch. I don't particularly care what some Yankee from New York City wants to see. I want to see wrestling matches with wrestlers. I want to see real old-fashioned wrestling. I want to see some people who have some respect for the traditions of the wrestling industry, have some respect for the sport of wrestling. I don't want to see sports entertainment and flying donkeys all around. I think it's garbage, I think it's insulting, and I think it's a shame to a fine sport like this. Down south where I come from, they know wrestling. They were brought up on it. They grew up on it, and they respect it. And I think it's about time that the promoters in the wrestling industry today recognize that wrestling fans watching a wrestling program want to see wrestlers wrestle. That's, that's easy. It's not too hard to understand if you just think about it. But the problem is, is that nobody has any respect for tradition. Well, I got news for you. I got respect for tradition, and I've always been associated with real good old-fashioned wrestling, a sport of wrestling, not a circus sideshow, not a cartoon show. And if nobody else is going to bring some wrestling around here, then maybe it's going to be up to Jim Cornette. So that might be my New Year's resolution for 1998. I might bring some tradition. I might bring some real wrestling back and clear this whole mess out because I think it stinks. So there's my address. There's my opinion. There's my commentary. Do with it what you want. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, bah humbug, I'm out of here. Yeah, I mean, if there is one positive to take from Goldust in the month of December 97, for me, it would be that we got Vader as Santa, which was... <laughs> Something. And it suited, it suited him well, I thought, so that was a positive for me. Um, but aside yep. from that, it seems grass for the sake of it, and it seems like Vince or whoever is behind this and pushing for this every week on TV how far they can go with it, that's what it feels like to me because there's no positivity coming out of this, there's nothing good on the show um, Goldust doesn't have a particularly in interesting rivalry going on at the moment I know he's back and forth with, with Vader like I said, but it's, it's not like a, a key storyline, but he gets a lot of TV time every week to do more and more of this, and it just feels like someone backstage is 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 firmly behind this, and someone's pushing for it on the show each week, um, which is to the detriment of the product, in my opinion. Right, and that will do it for the WWF 
December 1997 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Um, firstly, I would like to thank Rory McNamara for joining me. My pleasure, guys. You can be found on Twitter. I am there, Rors the M, R-O-R-S-D-M. Excellent. And Craig, also thank you for joining me. Uh, no, absolute pleasure. I, I really like 1997 as, as a year in, the, in wrestling, particularly WWF, so it's been nice to briefly recap it and look at probably one of the worst WWF shows of the year. <laughs> uh, Craig, you can be found on Twitter, and would you like to tell the good listeners about your uh, blog Yes, well. uh, it's probably the easiest just to do it all on one because you can find all the links from there. Uh, I, me and some friends, run a blog called ringthedambell.wordpress.com. Uh, you'll find all the social links there. And yeah, it takes a sort of misty-eyed look at the good old days of wrestling. The, the attitude area, we sort of try and ignore the many, many flaws it had and just yeah, get all misty-eyed and whimsical about watching wrestling as a 14- and 50-year-old lad. Great times. Excellent. Um just to recap, we've got six volumes of the show for you this month. Volume 1, your WCW and Starcade. This episode, Volume 2. Volume 3 is all your ECW coverage. Volume 4 is your MMA edition of the show. Looking at Ultimate Japan, UFC's first ever international show. Volume 5 is the 1997 End of Year Review. And Volume 6 is the 1997 End of Year Awards. I have been your host, Chris White. You can find me on Twitter at ChrisWhite14 if you would like to do so. Um, thank you very much for listening. Happy New Year to listeners, Rory and Craig, all of you. Happy New Year. Speak to you in 1998. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>